There you are. That's a 99. And a bottle of Iron Brew. What's your wee pal wanting? She's <laughs> <laughs> wanting a scratch of fanny. <laughs> My favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast, cause it's a very good podcast, oh yeah, 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 it's a funny, 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 funny show, Sick and Wrong Podcast is a wonderful Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. One of your hosts, D. Simon. Uh, call the police. It's me, Kate Rambo. It's cracking there, Kate. Oh, not much, mate. What's going on with you? You know, I uh, had lunch in a real restaurant, like inside a real restaurant today. All right, show off. Okay. It was weird. It was. It just felt really weird doing that again. Uh, I had lunch with Ryan Keeley at uh, Cantor's. And Cantor's is kind of like a famous old Jewish deli over here. It is, yes. Um, But uh, it's been just takeout there for, I don't know, past, what, year and a half? Um, Or year or whatever. And so uh, she was like, yeah, they're doing uh, inside, limited capacity. And so I went over there and uh, met her, and it was so weird. Like, you had to go in, you had to, like, disinfect your hands before you went into the place, Um, stand in line for them to seat you, which is fine. But there was no one else in the restaurant. This huge, massive deli, and there's no one else in there. What was it's the kind food of more like? of a diner, not deli. Get to the, I was about to say, it's I like really want diner food. Diner. I, want, I want cafe food. Tell me about the food. Get it was to, good. What was, it was good. I what got did like, you get? Uh, uh, I got vegetarian matzo ball soup, and I got uh, some steak fries. Oh, tell me more about these fries. They're really good. They're good steak cup fries. But what was weird about it, there's no uh, salt and pepper shakers. There's no ketchup. Oh. Yeah, everything has to be in plastic. And so that's kind of the way they do it now. So everything's in plastic, and they come over, and it's, um, you know, when they, they you, you have one waiter, everybody's spaced out. There are really only maybe like four other people in the restaurant. And the, the weirdest thing to me, and obviously I'm acutely aware of this, everything's more expensive. Really? Why? Yeah, I think it's Why? I think it's to uh, you know uh, compensate for all the plastic shit that and disinfectant and all the stuff oh. that they have to buy. So everything is at least like two dollars more. If you're sitting in, I think just in general, because I noticed this too uh, the other day. I, there's this Thai place uh, I've, I've been going to for years. It's called uh, Little Toy. It's over on Sunset. It's a really good place. And so I've been going there for years. Went there, ordered the same thing I normally get, and it was like $4 more. What's the same thing you normally get? Tell it's, me. It's just like a red curry with tofu. And it's nice. typically like, I don't know, eight ninety five or something. It was like $13. Were you aghast? 
Well, no, I didn't notice it first, but then I was talking to a guy at work and he's like, yeah, everything's like a couple dollars more now. I haven't noticed that over here, but I also haven't been anywhere yet. Although the pubs and stuff are open. But they I are open been. over there. They are open. Some places are walking, some aren't. Like I know for spoons, our local spoons at least, you can just um, you can walk in. If there's a spare table, you can go and sit at it. But it's got all the kind of plastic partitions. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, all, the, all the restaurants have these like plastic dividers. Yeah, but I just haven't been yet. Um, it's, it I, is I odd. It's, it's kind of a weird experience. Um, yeah, I'm hoping, you know, it's it's a step towards things becoming more normal. So, you know, I'm obviously yeah. you know, willing to do it. It was cool to be able to go to a restaurant. It was, it was also fun uh, catching up with uh, Ryan Keeley. Uh, she was telling me um, about her ex-husband, who's now a professional pickup artist. I mean, he was a porn star, but now he's like a PUA. And he makes videos on YouTube um, essentially doing like sexual negging. As it, we yes. went into it, we, we talked about it on the outtakes and we played some clips uh, from this guy's videos. I think it's only people like Boner Villain watching and subscribing to this guy's channel. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really weird. And she, and she was just like, oh yeah, I don't think he works. She was like, I highly doubt he works in porn because everyone hates him. And yeah, so, and once well, you've been blacklisted <laughs> in the porno, where can't you go? You become a pickup artist. Yeah, for a male you know? porn star. It's not like he can become a stripper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what are you going to do? And so I, I, he, I think he's been doing that. But it was fun catching up with her, and uh, it was nice to see that things are becoming somewhat normal. On uh, the way back, I was walking back, and, uh, walking back home, and some dude started harassing me to come to his comedy show. So no. they must be doing comedy shows now too. So that's I mean, it's disgusting. Just, yeah, but that's kind of how it is here. It's like people seem to be like you like comedy, and they'll try to like bark at you to come to their stupid show. This guy was really persistent though, because I kept saying Ugh. like, no, no thanks, no thanks, and uh, I even have headphones on. And typically, headphones yeah. is kind of like, you know, fuck off, I'm not going to talk to you. But the guy was like really persistent, and finally, I was just like, I hate stand-up comedy, and he was like, for real, for real, bro. Do you hate to laugh? And I was like, yes, I hate <laughs> laughter. And so then he's Look like, Look at me. He's yeah. like, That's fucked up, man. And I was like, All right. <laughs> but it, it just was a sign of things returning to normalcy. And I thought that was comforting. Well, you know? good. I wish that, that they had all shut down and were never to return. With all the stand up comedians just died of COVID. Yeah. Just all of them had caught the COVID and died. And just died that would have yeah. been amateur stand-up comedians. Let's put it like that. There's, there's a handful I wouldn't mind, you know, surviving. surviving. But I would say yeah. the majority, vast majority. If there is a disease like a pandemic that just wiped out stand-up comedians and improv performers, I think <gasps> I'd be cool improv, with that. Improv more. Yeah. Let them die first in the first wave, and then it went for the stand-up. And then get the magicians too. Just to just get up all three, a trifecta. Fuck yeah. I'm cool yeah. with that. Um, so you know, a listener reached out to me. That's why I was wondering if the pubs and restaurants in the UK were open again, because the listener reached out to me asking if if we're planning to do Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. I didn't even know it was going on. I didn't even know it was going on. I don't see how it can go on. I guess it's I was reading about it because he sent me a, a link to it and uh it's gonna be like a hybrid thing, like Zoom. And Awful. live uh, performances. Terrible. Yeah, don't know. I mean, obviously, we're not going to do it. <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> but, doing uh, that. 
Well, uh, Kate hates Edinburgh. Why do you hate Edinburgh? Um, it's just hoity-toity, right? I do like this one area of Edinburgh I like called Leaf. But other than that, I just think it's fucking hoity-toity. Glasgow's the way better. It's city. bloody posh. It's bloody posh, mate. Glasgow, you, you can know, there's there's better bars, there's more, re- there's like better restaurants. I don't know, that's just the vibe in Glasgow is way better. I, I dug Glasgow. It. I mean, I had a good time in Edinburgh. It was fun hanging out with everybody. But when we went out in Glasgow, I was like, this is a little more my scene. It's kind of, it's like gritty, yeah. it's industrial, it's depressing. It's not depressing. Like it. it can be a little depressing. I, li- I liked it. Like when I was in Edinburgh, it's like, you know, they had, it was around the, uh, the holidays time. Like it was like early December and they had like this whole festival and this market and all oh, this the, Christmas the shit everywhere. Glasgow, it's like the first bar we went to, there were like three dudes just passed out on a table and it's like 3 p.m. And uh, a bunch of Neds just like sitting there smoking and swearing. And I was like, you know, this is a little more my scene. This is and the Picara. vitality I've been looking for. Shout out to Glasgow for the Picara, which I miss. I didn't get to have that. But you know what? Uh, my grandfather, born and raised in Glasgow. Um, he will have been born and raised eating Picara. He probably did. Him. And he, well, he loved Indian food. Um, my uncle said we still have family there. I don't really know them, but. Uh, but in Glasgow. Yeah, we still have. Uh, they're, they're Jews in Glasgow. Yes, Kate. They're Jews prob- in Glasgow, okay? No probably, so the only, probably the only two Jews in all of Glasgow, <laughs> your relations. They look exactly like you, but they've got <laughs> just, Scottish accents. Just big noses, frizzy hair. Yeah. Shitty tattoos. Um, didn't you live in Glasgow for, you lived in Glasgow for a while, right? Yeah, for a little while. Uh, not for very long. I found it hard to get work when I was up there. It was for a tumultuous time in my life. But I did, if I could live, if I had to move anywhere in the UK, it would be Glasgow again. Yeah, I kind of I like I like Glasgow. I could totally live there, but it's yeah, a it tough it's fun. a tough city though. It's always been a you know I mean there's a, a violent history with Glasgow. There is. You know I mean uh, at one time, Glasgow had the title of murder capital of Western Europe. Did it? Yeah, and it's you know we're gonna talk uh, this week. We're talking about the ice cream wars, Glasgow's ice cream wars in the uh, '80s. It's extremely violent, um, but. Uh, you know, it's cleaned up since then. It's definitely cleaned up since the eighties, since like since the train spotting times. But it's still rated the most the eleventh most dangerous city in Europe. Can I just take you back there? You did just make a fatal fucking error because uh, train spotting is not in Glasgow. I thought it was. Is that in Edinburgh? It's Edinburgh. Okay. Edinburgh. Whatever. <laughs> Scotland. Uh, but no, I mean, uh, you know, that was what nineties. I think Glasgow was still pretty sketchy in the nineties, wasn't it? Well, I wasn't really going up there in the 90s. But yeah, I mean, parts of it have definitely become gentrified in as they always do in cities. But yeah. I was genuinely kind of surprised that it's the 11th most violent city in Europe. It didn't, just didn't strike me to be that violent, but maybe I didn't go to like the sketchy, really sketchy areas. Yeah, I bet you didn't. It can be like this part. I remember when we first started recording at Green Door Studios, uh, which is kind of like West Endy. That was, um, yeah, when we first started recording this, we're going about back like nearly 10-ish years ago. It was sketchy then, but now it's full-on gentrified. But yeah. you could, you weren't really supposed to be walking around at night back then. So Glasgow has 5.1 murders per every 100,000 people. Okay. Um, comparing that to Los Angeles, here in, uh, we have 7.01 murders for every 100,000. 
uh, London, 1.54 murders oh, for wow. every 100,000. Yeah, it's not that bad. Oh. And the number one like most dangerous city in Europe, also kind of surprising, Istanbul. Is that surprising? I, I don't think. I mean, I was in Istanbul. I just didn't think it was like that. I guess it's a really violent city. A lot of murders. Didn't think it, didn't think it was murdery. I can see, like, yeah, husbands losing it against their wives in Istanbul. Well, terrorism too. I think that's yes. part of it. Um, but yeah, this the uh, the topic that we want to get to is uh, the violent ice cream wars of 1980s Glasgow. And that's a subject I uh, Kate was mentioning t- it to me because we're I, I was talking about like we, we were having a conversation about the Glasgow smile and everything, and then you mentioned uh, the ice cream wars, and I was like I don't, you know, don't even really know about that. It's a weird period of history it that is, I, I, love... I think a lot of people have overlooked it. Uh, yeah, and I love it's a, a very like kind of British thing as well to have this kind of turf war and using your ice cream buns is well, like the main weapon. Well, it definitely promotes the whole stigma of like the violent Scots, you know? Yeah. The violent Scottish. But yeah, you know, Scotland, or Scotland's most populous city here, Glasgow, has definitely changed over the years, but it has a history of violence dating back to like the 1920s and 1930s when there were razor gangs running rampant through the streets. And then now it's like, you know, there's like uh, football gangs, you know, more recent times. So Glasgow, well accustomed to violence. And so just, I mean, namely, you know, there's a torture method called the the Glasgow Smile um, that was developed and uh, practiced throughout that city by folks like these guys here, the uh, Bridgerton, the, the Bridgerton team. They were one of those razor gangs that went around. Um, But yeah, in the 1920s, 1930s, these razor gangs were named because of their their favored choice of weapon. Uh, They would cruise around with these razors, carving the sides of a victim's mouth into a demented grin known as the uh, Glasgow Smile. Uh, The way that goes down here, obviously created in Glasgow, not surprising, It's inflicted by cutting one or both corners of the victim's mouth. So you could have one side that's a Glasgow smile, or you could do both sides, Um, sometimes all the way to the ears. Uh, The so-called Glasgow smile originated in a very dark period of uh, Glasgow's history. The victim's screams of pain only served to tear the cuts open even further, giving a uh, terrifying uh, scar that uh, the wearer obviously would have for life. And uh, I have a picture here of the actor, Tommy Flanagan. And he actually has a real Glasgow smile. He was attacked outside of a bar in Glasgow. And uh, you can see the, uh, the, the demented grin there of the Glasgow smile. Now, a Glasgow kiss, on the other hand, is a completely different thing. That's <laughs> yes. a headbutt. Um, but the, the fact that there's two violent techniques here named after a city shows you that it's a violent fucking city. You know, you know, uh, Glasgow is also the only city that no effects won't play because they got chased out of town. There's a random fact for you. When did no effects get like in the 90s? Uh, yeah, 90s slash early 2000s. They got chased out of town and it's the one place they'll go play Russia. They'll go play like South America. They won't play Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> so Glasgow is, you know, during like the industrial revolution kind of like between what is that like late 1800s uh the population of the city of glasgow more than doubled 
because a lot of farmers were driven off their land. And so a lot of people just moved in the city. And then there's also, you know, they established a lot of factories and dockyards in Glasgow. And it became, you know, a lot of these displaced farm workers all moved to the city, you know, seeking employment. Um, and soon it became this massive city. And then end of World War One, you know, now there's even more people there. All the uh, soldiers come back. A lot of people are unemployed, which led to um, kind of an organization of criminals, like criminal gangs, the Razor Gangs started uh, started uh, you know work in the city and uh, did, you know the east end and the south side uh, became uh, known as the Gorbals and they were just minor criminal empires that were kind of operating in all these different areas of Glasgow and there were rivalries like violent bloody rivalries between these two groups uh, between many groups and some of these groups they followed religious lines like there's a gang called the Protestant Billy Boys who would fight off you know fight against the Catholic Norman Conks. Like these are the <laughs> different gangs Conks. here, the Conks, C-O-N-K-S. And then there were like other smaller, like equally like brutal gangs who would carve up their rivals with razors, you know, in, in these back and forth wars. Um, and the smile was something that inevitably came out of the violence. And it was just a, you know, and, and people did it with, you know, they inflicted it with a razor or a knife or shards of glass even. Uh, but the scars, you know, were an indelible mark of, uh, you know, of uh, the violence inflicted upon uh, upon one gang on another. So, I mean, you could tell, like, this guy got hit by the Billy Boys, got a, uh, yeah. a Glasgow smile. Now, that's something that originated in Scotland, but it isn't just, it doesn't only take place in Scotland. You know, the Glasgow what smile... You know, especially, you know, during that period, 1900s, occurred in other areas. We're going to talk about a uh, 1930s um, a famous serial killer here, Albert Fish, Brooklyn vampire, cannibal, pedophile. Um, masochist. Masochist, yeah. And he, he looks like such an unassuming man, like he could be, you know working in a pharmacy or something or a, or a professor. You think he looks unassuming? Albert Fish is creepy looking. Come on, look at those cheekbones. I just, I mean, he kind of has like sallow features, but I've, I've looked at him, I just think he's just like, you know, um, innocuous he, old man. But this guy- He has guy, the look of a man who has nails in his skin. That's who he looks like. Well, he had a Inserting. grisly habit of molesting, torturing, and eating children. And he yes. inflicted the Glasgow smile on one unfortunate kid. Little four-year-old Billy Gaffney, one oh, day failed Billy. to return home, and uh, you know, fish found him, murdered him, and cut off Gaffney's ears, nose, and slit his mouth from ear to ear. Oh, that's a bit harsh. Probably isn't it? Did most... he eat the ears? I'm Feels sure like he, he would eat the ears. I'm mm. sure he did. Ate the kid. They found his remains. Poor kid. Parents had to see him with a Glasgow smile. Uh, one of the most famous. Uh, murder victims here who uh, received a Glasgow grin here was uh, Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia. I'd say she's the most famous. She probably is the most famous, yeah. Um, yeah. She was found early in 1947. Um, uh, she was a waitress, aspiring actress in Los Angeles, and her mutilated body was found uh, one January morning in 1947. Uh, she was cut cleanly in two at the waist, her limbs bearing extensive knife cuts, Set in a weird pose, too, which is strange. Do you know why she was in a weird pose? Because she was in a bathtub. So she was in a bathtub with her hands tied behind, like, to the plumbing. 
So when they dismembered her, that's why her hips are at that kind of like angle. rigor mortis set in, and that's why her body was stuck in that position. Yeah, and because she'd lost like her the blood flow, like that position would be her final position. Do you know she was made to eat her own shit before she died? They found um, shit in her stomach with her last meal. Jesus, they ever yeah, find her? No, and they never will. I yeah. mean, it's like it's lost to time and history now. But I like cases like that. It's like the Zodiac. My biggest fear is that they'll solve the Zodiac killing. Never want that to happen. Her face was cut neatly from the edges of her mouth, as you can see there, right up to her earlobes. Um, this haunting grin slashed ac across her face was kept out of newspaper photographs at the time. But uh, thanks to people like Kay Rambo, you can just do a simple Google search. And there you can see yes. um, Elizabeth Short with her Glasgow smile. Um, so the Glasgow smile isn't something that faded away with time, actually. Um, there's been a bit of a resurgence in the, uh, in the UK. Um, there's a group called the Chelsea Headhunters, which is uh, linked with the Chelsea Football Club, a very violent football club, a group of hooligans. They get together. Um, they adopted the Glasgow smile, but they put their own twist on it. They call it the Chelsea smile or the Chelsea grin. It's pretty much the same thing. They just like, you know, yes. cut your mouth open, but they're doing it, I guess, to honor the Chelsea football team. Ugh, so, sadly. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the headhunters would face off with their hated rivals from other London districts, like South London's equally violent Millwall. And, uh, these would be like some riot, like you know, riotous brawls, very violent altercations. That even the police are like, yeah, you know, I think we're just gonna let this go. <laughs> we'll just wait. Yeah, I would say Millwall the is are the most violent of all the uh, the football gangs in the UK. Maybe not so much in recent years. Now that it's been trying to like, because we're bad for our violence. football violence. Yeah, but Millwall, like, they're legendary for it. Yeah, they, they've uh, the headhunters have become notorious for administering the Chelsea grin to anyone who crosses them, especially Millwall um, team members there. Um, and it's it's the the mutilation they say is so pervasive in Glasgow. They can be even found in medical textbooks that have methods of treatment. And this is a, a statistic that uh, Kate Rambo disagrees with, but I read it. When I was doing my research, 2011, it was estimated that someone in Glasgow suffered the serious facial injury once every six hours. Every six, uh, every then, six hours, same, someone gets a, a Glasgow that smile. Again. That doesn't, a serious facial injury does not mean a Glasgow smile. Well, it? they said this serious facial injury, so I think they're referring to Oh, okay, to every the six smile. hours. Yeah. Nah, mate. Nah, That's a I lot disagree. of Glasgow smiles. I want all my Glasgow friends to just message me and tell me I'm wrong. But I just <laughs> it just seems egregious, right. doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would just... seem like everyone would have a Glasgow smile in Glasgow if it's every six hours. And it can't be something that easy. I, I guess you could just go and slide. It depends on what you consider a Glasgow smile. Like I'm considering like Heath Ledger, Joker, you know, both sides. Yeah, like Elizabeth I'm not just saying Shaw. a little slice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got to be both. Hasn't yeah, it? if someone That's just glasses you, I don't think that counts. No, no, that's you just know, a glassing that happens. And it's that's a not. glassing. That's just, yeah. that's a way of life in the UK. <laughs> it <all right>? is. <laughs> so the Glasgow ice cream wars. It's, uh, this, these wars occurred during the 1970s and the 80s. There were gangs in Glasgow, uh, not razor gangs, but street gangs. 
um, that were feuding with rival ice cream trucks over their territory, often violently. And uh, being an ice cream man became one of the most dangerous jobs. And so this era is commonly known now as the Glasgow Ice Cream Wars, um, when the ice cream monopoly, like uh, rival gangs were fighting to monopolize the ice cream truck industry. So it all kind of started late 70s, early 80s, when uh, industry was collapsing in Glasgow. So there was a mass you know, level of unemployment, a lot of civil unrest, um, probably all due to Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, um, let's blame that bitch. And so uh, the working class Scottish city was wracked with a lot of violence, a lot of drugs, a lot of poverty. And so one of the, what we're showing here in this picture is uh, the Glasgow housing schemes, very similar to the housing projects you find uh, in, in U.S. cities. Um, very densely packed housing units. And I'm assuming yeah, those like are all a, apartments, right? Or flats? Uh, no, houses. Usually schemes are houses. It's kind of like, it's just Scotland's version of a council estate. Yeah, but looking also, at this picture here, it, that's one home? No, that's like, you can see there's like one, two, two homes usually detached. Okay, so it splits, like almost like a duplex. Yeah, sometimes they are apartments, but mainly they're houses, and it's like there'll be like, you know, a family living in them. And if you want to see like, a good example of a scheme there was a, a bbc show called the scheme which is all up on youtube and yeah watch that if you want to see what it's like to live on a scheme so these schemes were mostly built in the 1960s to replace the old and dangerous tenement housing that existed before that um the schemes were made for low-income families and the amount of money going to the schemes kind of died off once the people moved in so they were built on the outskirts of the city like on the borders, and they often lacked access to basic shops and grocery stores, and there's not much transportation there. So it was difficult for people just to get groceries, you know, when they lived in one of these. And it's, it's very similar, actually, to a lot of the housing projects in some American cities. Like I'm talking about Cabrini Green is a good example. So Cabrini okay. Green, I think the city was like, you know what? We'll get the homeless people off the street, and we'll get families. We'll get a chance if we build these, you know, developments. And Cabrini Green were like, you know, high rises or like, I don't know, 30 floors or something. And so they put all this money into building these, these Cabrini Green high rises for low income housing. But then as soon as the families moved in, they just kind of were like, ah, fuck it. Like, we're not going to support it because it became very violent. You know, people were getting ra raped and murdered. And, you know, there's a lot in, in drug usage and things like that. And so the city just kind of was like, you know what, we're just going to let Cabrini Green die. And it, but people, and so it became condemned, but people still live there. Like if you watch the movie Candyman, that's all based in Cabrini Green. Yeah, I love that film. Yeah, it was, it was gnarly. Glasgow has some high rise tenant, like tenements like that as well, which are all council owned. Just dilapidated it's what the, um, at this point. Well, I think at the minute they're looking to move all the people out and get them into better housing. But that's what the uh, TV show Still Game is about. It's about these guys living in these high rise council council homes well i mean it makes sense like uh you know a lot of the, i was this uh a, a guy that they interviewed in this one story that i was reading uh, he's an author he wrote he wrote a book on the uh the ice cream wars called uh, frightener uh, but he said that these schemes were constructed largely in the years following world war ii as a means of like thinning inner city overpopulation and removing slums so they're hoping if like we give you a home it's out of the city 
and you know the drugs and the violence will go away and like it won't be like so densely overpopulated you know that people are killing each other so i mean it makes sense but it obviously didn't really work instead of taking people out of the slums it just relocated them into new slums and now poor people were concentrated on the outskirts of the city far from work and shops and so what happened is the ice cream van business the ice cream trucks sort of became mobile grocery stores in a way like traveling shops to supply the schemes with much needed goods so in addition to just ice cream here's an old ice cream truck ice cream van as they call it over there so in addition to ice cream they sold groceries toilet paper and other things you know the people who live in the schemes needed but obviously couldn't couldn't get because they're so far away from the shops although I, f- I find it really weird to buy toilet paper from an ice cream truck there's just something not, unnatural about that do you not remember when you found it weird that i said we had pop vans we used to have a pop man who would come round and he would have jugs of pop like soda yeah, there was pop. a van for everything. Yeah, we'd have the pop man come round. He would usually come round on the weekend and he would have big jugs of pop. But I remember That's when weird. I was when I was 15, the um the ice cream man still sold cigarettes out of his <laughs> van. You could buy single cigarettes from the ice cream man. It's like one of the, how I started smoking. <laughs> you, would, you, you could buy Lucy's from the ice cream man. You buy loose cigarettes off him. They How were much like was 20p. a loose cigarette? Like 20p? 20p. Wow. Yeah, it was through a cigarette. There used but- to be, I remember when uh, the early days of me smoking, not everywhere, but um, they had like little uh, vending machines. You can get Lucy's for like a quarter. Oh, no way. No, oh, it was that great. Was, yeah. That was before my time, Lucy's. <laughs> yeah, but there you go. There's, a, there's an ice cream truck, the ice cream man. Not only selling ice cream, but selling toilet paper as well and other supplies. Which is kind of yeah, nice. we still also have because I live in a rural area. We still have the milkman, and we have a fishman as well. Who, and a we also have a meat and a meat man. They're like independent suppliers, and you put your. They but then we, they just come around in a truck, being like, "Meat for sale, meat for sale." <laughs> and then you run out to go buy your ground beef. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's the olden days here, still, mate. <laughs> Don't you have like shops? Do they have stores? We do have shops, but this is like supporting your independent local uh, retailers. That's even more like disconcerting. Because where's he getting this meat from? Um, like it's his all garage local. from the farmers here. For locals only. For locals yeah, I don't only. know if I would. I don't know if I would trust the meat that uh, Sam the Meat Man over here um, <laughs> is selling. But these ice cream vans, people, you know, people that drove these ice cream vans with the, uh, you know, like the traveling shops here could earn up to 200 pounds per week. It's kind of a lot of money. I mean, wow. at, the, in the at, 60, at that period. In the 70s and 80s. Yeah, late 70s, sure early is. 80s. So eventually, as you know, obviously when uh, you have a new enterprise like this, you're selling, um, you know, you're selling groceries and supplies like this to poor people. What else do poor people enjoy doing? Recreationally, but then eventually it becomes a bit of a lifestyle. Drugs. They love drugs. The poors who love doesn't? the drugs. Oh who my doesn't? God, who doesn't though? We're so, all a fan. Being that they live on the outskirts of the city, someone's got to deliver these drugs. So ice cream vans started routinely selling drugs in stolen property. I mean, they still sold ice cream sandwiches, popsicles, and cookie pusses, but um, <laughs> they also sold... You know, drugs. It's like, if you think it's the perfect front for selling drugs. 
Do you know another random Glasgow ice cream van fact? Um, Fred West of the infamous Wests, Fred and Rose. Fred he and lived Rose in West. Glasgow in the 60s for a short spell, and he actually killed a child with his ice cream van. Oh, he drove an ice cream van? He drove an ice cream van because they're obviously ubiquitous in Glasgow. Uh, but in the in the years since like all this madness about their family has come out, it's now looked more upon as a murder rather than an accident because it wasn't investigated. But he hit a kid. He hit a four-year-old and killed a four-year-old. <laughs> I may have mentioned that happens. Your little kids are well, running was... out, you know, to get Yeah, that's why he didn't get investigated because they were like, oh, these are... But guarantee Fred West was probably swerving into the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, know? he was driving like VA Baracus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, these ice cream van drivers could make a pretty decent living. And if they were willing to sell stolen goods or drugs, well, then they're going to make a pretty good living because they're going to increase their profits. Um, and so that willingness, you know, was very convincing because I think a lot of other criminal organizations would be like, well, now we can have a fleet of ice cream men dealing drugs to, you know, the projects on the outside of the outskirts of the city. So it became bad enough that the local Strathclyde Serious Crime Squad became known as the Serious Chime Squad. <laughs> Ew. Because the uh, nexus here between ice cream vans and uh, criminal activity. And so... Soon, like, you know, certain criminal organizations, because there are a bunch of different competing gangs in Glasgow that were, you know, selling stolen property, uh, shilling cigarettes, drugs, things like that. Well, as soon as certain groups were like, well, this guy's making a killing with the ice cream van business, well, we want a cut of that. So of they course. started, you know, pressuring and intimidating their own ice cream vans. Because there are a little bunch of different groups, um, you know, that, that, that ice cream companies. Um, and so they started going after all the different drivers and intimidating them. Yeah, there's one, uh, the Marchetti Brothers, one of the most, it's probably one of the most popular ones. So the, these different gangs started uh, trying to get all these other drivers on the payroll. And obviously, a lot of people weren't willing to play ball. It's like, I don't want to engage in criminal activity. You know, I'm not going to do this. And so if you chose not to play along, if you chose not to collude with these criminal organizations, well, you're going to face some violence. And there was also violence about which area of Glasgow you were allowed to uh, send your trucks to. So there became like a full-on turf battle, like a turf war uh, for all the different areas using ice cream trucks. This would be such a good game, a mini game in GTA. Yeah, Glasgow ice ice cream trucks. Yeah. They should do a GTA in Glasgow, Scotland, GTA Scotland edition. Oh, they should. So tensions, you know, began to rise between all the rival ice cream truck operators. And it became, it it got nasty. I mean, full turf wars um, broke out, especially on like the more profitable routes with like the bigger schemes. Um, You know, everybody was wanted to like you know start selling their drugs to these different routes and so the gang started fighting over who had control of the most profitable ice cream routes and so gang members began using rocks baseball bats knives axes and guns to defend their territory from rival van companies and soon i mean there was like violent street fights broken windshields 
um, incidents range from just double stopping, which is parking at the same spot and trying to oh. entice customers away from the <laughs> rival, you know, yeah. from the competition, to leapfrogging to get the better sites, to full-on paying local toughs, like local youths, to uh, usually just with alcohol, like you just give them some, uh, some buck fast. And then they would just get them to go attack a rival's vehicle, smash the windows, slice the tires, break the headlamps. So, yeah, I mean, it became like a, a, a really violent scene. And, uh, you know, police were kind of uh, were overwhelmed by it. Um, and soon, like, it was like full-on mafia-style warfare. A convicted man smasher here uh, recalled that the ice cream van gangs would use anything to defend their uh, mobile drugs and treat vans. So, right. I mean, they were like, you know, some had, some had guns, knives, uh, axes, like they're using full-on battle axes to, 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 to fight each other. So, I mean, it was kind of like the Warriors, but with ice cream trucks. Yeah, this is so you know? much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1984, this violence even escalated further, but this time to murder. So, there's an ice cream man, 18-year-old Andrew Batboy Doyle. Batboy? Um, is that because he had a bat? I don't know why they called him think? Batboy. I thought I at first not- when I read it, because I was, I was watching this, Channel 4 did a whole series on this guy. Um, I thought they meant Fat Boy, but <laughs> no, it, boy. It, it's Bat Boy uh, Doyle here. Uh, he, he, infringed on, he infringed on someone else's territory. And uh, so one of the dominant gangs were like, well, we want you, if you're going to be operating in here, driving your ice cream van, you're going to have to start selling some of our merchandise. And he pushed back. You know, he was working for the Marchetti brothers at the time. And uh, they say that, that Tam McGraw, who was one of the most feared underworld criminals in Glasgow at the time, tried to persuade him to peddle drugs. And he just steadfastly refused. He was like, I'm oh, not wow. going to be involved with your you know, organized crime gang. So obviously they weren't too pleased about his response. And uh, they shot his windshield out with a shotgun to try to intimidate him. And uh, he wasn't intimidated. He still wouldn't uh, play ball. And so stronger measures were needed. And so what they, what they, they call this, uh, they call it a frightener. That's the name of the book um, that was written about the ice cream wars. But a frightener is a scare tactic. So they're just like, we're going to have to um, add some frighteners. So they jumped him outside the, he lived in the scheme. They jumped him outside of his scheme. They shot out his windshield. They smashed up his van. He still wouldn't play ball and peddle drugs for them. So on April 16th, 1984, someone put a bed linen soaked in gasoline against the front door of the flat in the Ruchese housing estate where Doyle lived with his parents and his siblings, and they set it on fire. The fire spread quickly, and Doyle and his family were trapped inside. And, uh, I mean, obviously... They were probably trying to frighten Doyle, like this is another frightener tactic. Um, but who knows? The end result no. was devastating, though. Of the yeah, nine I people inside, of all these people fire. died. Yeah, all I mean, of them. yeah. Well, of the nine people that were inside, only three escaped. So six people died. Whoa. Yeah, Mr. Doyle died in the fire, or um, that boy died in the fire. Fire his two brothers. Um, his father, his sister, and her son, 18, an 18-month-old kid there in the middle, which is uh, sad. 
It was definitely uh, one of the deadliest acts of mass murder in Scotland. Actually, it was the deadliest act of mass murder in Scotland until the Dunblane Massacre in 1996. Of course. So the public at this point now were outraged. That's a lot of pressure on the uh, local police. And so they frantically were trying to scramble to figure out, you know, who's responsible for these, uh, this mass murder. And so what ended up happening is one of the, I guess, most notorious miscarriages of justice in Glasgow's history. What actually ended up happening. So the cops interviewed hundreds of suspects to try to, to, to try to pinpoint who set the fire and murdered um, Doyle's family. I read I, that they interviewed 4,000 people and 4,000 people didn't say anything. Well, one guy said something. Yeah. Because <laughs> they eventually settled on uh, one Thomas Campbell and one Joe Steele as the culprits. Both men owned ice cream vans, and police alleged that they were protecting their turfs. So this is like a this is a turf retaliation here. Um, not to mention Campbell had a considerable criminal past, and they thought Steele was one of his sidekicks. Desperate to make a conviction here, because they were. I mean, there was obviously a lot of pressure on the police. Um, I mean, the violence had been escalating, and now there's a you know a mass murder. An 18-month-old child died. Um, so they coordinated a plea bargain with a jailed ice cream van robber named John Love. He was just a local petty criminal. And he's the one who implicated the van owners Thomas T.C. Campbell and Joe Steele as the culprits. Um, so police arrested Tommy Campbell and Joe Steele uh, Campbell was 31 at the time. Steele was 22. Um, and the witness identified both of them and uh, fingered both of those guys. And when arresting Campbell and Steele's suspects, the police claimed to hear each man made separate incriminating statements about each other referencing the crime. Yeah, um, of course. That were criticized for probably being fabricated. Uh, but they said, you know, it's true that Thomas did have a history of violence and he acted as the enforcer Joe was his sidekick, just like he was, he was Batman, Joe was Robin in this situation. Mm -hmm. But both men claimed to have alibis and insisted that they were innocent. So now Love claimed that he overheard the two men plotting to teach fat boy Doyle a lesson. Uh, four police officers testified they heard Campbell say, the fire at fat boys was only meant to be a frightener, which went too far. Police also said a map of Glasgow uh, with the Doyle apartment marked with an X, was found at Campbell's flat. Oh, who is? No, these are these are Glasgow boys. You don't need to be having a map. A map with an, with an X. X, like you know where these guy. streets are. You know where these <laughs> schemes are. You just need to be told an address once. Who is? That is so shoddy. It, it just it does sound very just suspect. You know, it's like okay, That's really, it's just too suspect. obvious. Like there's so a map obvious. with an X, like murder this guy. Well, you know? and there's a jailbird canary singing about who's done it. I don't <laughs> trust him for a second either. Well, the accused, you know, proclaimed their innocence the entire time. They said that love and the police were lying. They said the map was planted by the cops like they had never seen this map before. But the jury unanimously agreed with the prosecution. You know, it probably would be a pretty shut and dry, you know, shut and closed case. Um... Campbell and Steele were both given a life sentence with no chance of release for 20 years. What? 
Yeah. So they were sentenced to 20 years in the slammer here. Um, so being that uh, they were falsely imprisoned for murder together, there they are. It looks like they were roughed up too, doesn't it? They are insanely roughed up. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. Well, I mean, they. <laughs> it's pretty incriminating what they're being accused of here. Um, but they were falsely imprisoned for murder together, but uh, they were never friends. And they didn't okay. even like each other. Yeah. Oh, wow. Steele actually got, yeah, Steele actually got a 20-year sentence. Campbell got 30 years. And Jesus. so immediately after the conviction, most people assume they're guilty. I mean, they wanted to obviously, you know, shut this case down and find the culprits who were responsible for the mass murder. And so I think they were relieved when they actually were able to be like, well, it's these two guys who did it. And the police and the prosecution, the press just painted them as being complete monsters, which I don't think was very difficult when you're, you know, lighting a fire and killing a child. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the public was like, we want to see these guys being punished. So they were sentenced to the maximum, you know, penalty for their crime. Now, Steele, like the whole time that they're in prison, 20 years, uh, Mr. Steele and Mr. Campbell here never stopped insisting on their innocence. And they even staged protests in prison to draw attention to their plight. Uh, Campbell staged a series of hunger strikes. And uh, soon the public, you know, would, you know, the press would write about these hunger strikes and things like this. And they still maintain their innocence, you know, so uh, assiduously that the public began to kind of question the guilt. And people were writing, you know, opinion pieces in the in the news saying, like, maybe they aren't guilty. And uh, the author who I mentioned before, Mr. Skelton here, and uh, his co-author, Lisa Brownlee, published a book called Frightener about the case in 1993, which also renewed interest in, uh, in, in, in this uh, trial. So around that time, Steele was allowed to leave to visit his mother, which is insane that any prison would do this. Yes. They, would, they would let these guys, like, you're a murderer. You're convicted for life imprisonment. And they're like, oh, well, you can take the weekend off because you're your mom. That would never happen well, in this country. I mean, I know that would never happen, but at the end of the day, prison is meant to be about rehabilitation, isn't it? It's not meant to be about your being locked up forever. It's about they've probably shown that in in jail, even though I know that one of them did escape. You can um you can like be trusted to build your life back. So I can see why he's it happens. I, mean, I can understand I think it depends on the crime when you're a mass murderer. <laughs> well, like... even Myra Hindley used to be allowed out for weekends, weekend jobs. So it's maybe maybe it's, maybe part it's in of the UK, but culture. here we're not yes. letting Charles Manson out for the weekend to go to Dairy Queen and hang out with his mummy. <laughs> it's like, no, sorry, mummy. dude. <laughs> so anyway, Mr. Steele here uh, got to get got leaves of his mom, and he slipped from the grasp of the police guard, and he disappeared. So he. Um, he, he got a taste of freedom here. And so what did he do? He reemerged five days later in London, and he super glued and handcuffed himself to the gates of Buckingham Palace to draw oh, attention to the case. So it's like another protest. There's nothing worse than when you get super glue on your hands. So this guy means it. Was he naked? Like, did he super glue his whole body? Because that would have been... You know, quite oh, the that protest. would have been even worse. That would have yeah, so super his dick. 
To like Buckingham to the, Palace. Yeah, the, the, his todger, <laughs> his square sausage lawn. <laughs> so yeah, he super glued literally and handcuffed himself at the gates of Buckingham Palace uh, in in a uh, form of protest here. And the fact that he had actually handed himself back rather than just you know stay on the lamb made people wonder like there might be some credence here to his claims of innocence. And then not to mention the book came out and then the media started taking another look at some of the facts and the evidence that was submitted during this trial. And then in the early 90s, Love, um, you know, the, uh, the petty criminal, confesses original statement to the police had been fabricated. He, he's, yeah, he Here said you that, uh, you know, it found out that he was uh, facing years in prison. So as part of a plea deal, he helped them convict the murderers of uh, of Doyle. It's a tale as old as time. As soon as there's a prison informant, I just never believe it because they, they want freedom and they will say anything to gain their freedom. Well, so after, you know, several news articles, the book came out, the public started coming around to the idea that maybe these two are innocent and uh, there was something rotten at the heart of this case. So in 1999, there's a newly formed criminal case review commission that started taking another look with the court of appeals at what happened here. And this time evidence emerged about the collusion that police officers had to manufacture evidence against Campbell and Steele. Love uh, was exposed as a jailhouse snitch. After giving police incriminating evidence against the two men, a charge of armed robbery against him was dropped and he was released from prison. So by oh, snitching wow. out these two guys, he got his case, his uh, sentence commuted. So obviously, there's an incentive there. Um, and then in an appeal in 2004, the court concluded that the police conspired to concoct a fictional confession from Campbell. So they kind of forced Campbell to make a confession. The police being corrupt? Yeah. David, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. I am shocked. They also discovered that the map with the X also planted by police. You don't fucking say. <laughs> My word. They did a shoddy frame-up job here. So Thomas and uh, um, Campbell and Steele's convictions were overturned in 2004 after the Court of Appeal ruled that they had been wrongly convicted. But they had already served 20 years so it was a bit of a hollow victory, if you think about it. 20 years of their life, you know, in prison. But there they are, free men. Campbell and Steele. And it's not like you've been other. locked. Yeah, as I was say, <laughs> it's not like you've been locked up with your buddy and you can be like, here's my comrade. We've been through this together. You locked up with someone you fucking hate. <laughs> no, they absolutely hate each other. Um, Campbell said, there's no jubilation. There's no happiness here because there's only losers in this case. He said, the yeah. Doyle family lost, a, lost their family. We lost our lives in prison for 20 years. Justice has failed everybody, and the case remains unsolved. But, um, it will never but get yeah, solved. You know, like Steele and Campbell, both of them completely connected to each other, were far from close. I mean, the truth is they were never friends. Um, Steele said he hated him for years. He hated Campbell for years and blamed him for destroying his life. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> them some big words well I mean if you think about it he did he said the truth is we were never friends you know he destroyed my life 
it got to the stage where I couldn't even stand to see his face anymore. Do you think if um, he hears like the jingle of an ice cream van, it brings back PTSD? I'm sure and he like coils up into like a yeah, like, fetal position, starts sleeves. crying, <laughs> yeah, urinating himself his, uncontrollably. His prison memories. Uh, Steele claimed his innocence, but never once defended Campbell. Okay. He said, I was well, cleared 100% of any wrongdoing involving the Doyles, and I had never anything to do with ice cream vans. He said, but TC was up to his neck in that business. Right. So Campbell was involved. So how has he been embroiled then? I think, uh, I think it was the jailhouse snitch. It was like, oh, the, those two guys are friends. He's an accomplice. But he's obviously got something to do with being a bit dodgy. Otherwise, this jailhouse snitch wouldn't know his name and he wouldn't be on his radar, would he? You know, I mean, yeah, why, why was someone, you know, blaming him? Like, why would someone bring up his name if there wasn't some kind of tangential association? Yeah, that's what I mean. It doesn't necessarily mean he's as in, embroiled in selling drugs out of an ice cream van, but he's definitely up to no good if jailhouse snitches know your name and are willing to snitch on you. A decade after getting out of prison, Campbell uh, said that he had regrets about the bizarre violence of the ice cream gang wars. He said, a lot of my friends were killed. I was near to death on a few occasions myself. I've been caught with axes. I've been caught with swords, open razors, every conceivable weapon, meat cleavers. It was all for nothing. No gain. Nothing to it. Just absolute madness. And ice cream. Tasty ice cream. All the ice cream you can eat. (laughs) I know. You forget about the ice cream sandwiches here. Um, You know, that's the thing. It's like, sure, he might not have lit the you know, the fire that, that killed uh, Doyle's family. But I'm sure he hurt a lot of people with the meat cleavers and the axes and the razors. I bet she's given a couple people a Glasgow smile before. Might have done. It reminds me of that film Ned's. That's what it kind of reminds me of. You well, I'm seen sure that? this is probably before Ned's. Were, were oh, yeah. Ned's, was that term? When, that term, Ned's. when was that term invented? Oh, Ned has been around for, since the 50s. It means oh, okay. non-edu- so non-educated were... delinquent. But it's, it reminds me of that film, just like being a, a gangland land thug. <laughs> Which is exactly what this guy was, though. Well, that's what he said. You know, uh, a lot of the people that were involved in the ice cream wars, they were desperate and young. Most of them were under the age of 26. And the ice cream was just incidental to it. I mean, the ice cream was just a, a you know... A, a, a way to deliver your merchandise. I mean, I don't think yeah. it was necessary. It could have been anything. Um, but uh, the author here wrote the book, Frightener, said that my gut tells me that he had nothing to do with a fire. And until someone brings me conclusive evidence, you know, that's how it is. You know, there's never been any uh, additional investigation into the case. No inquiry apart from the Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission, uh, which decided that, that a miscarriage of justice occurred and then you know, ushered the case to the Court of Appeals. But no one really knows what happened. There's never been a conviction. And there never um, will be. Well, people speculate who might have killed Doyle's family. Um, there's lots of rumors in the streets of Glasgow. Some believe the true killers had been freed, Campbell and Steele, while others have different theories. Um, I was reading in 2010, there were reports that a gang member and convicted murderer named Gary Moore made a death ca- deathbed confession to the killing. but uh, I also in, don't believe them either. Well, <laughs> in 2012, his widow told the media that Gary had been covering for his cousin, Gordon oh. Ness, 
who passed away okay. like a few years later. So maybe he was saying like, I did it to try to like, cause he was going to die anyway. Um, Gary's widow believes Gordon killed himself because he's living in fear after Gary is no longer around to protect him. Uh, Joe Steele, you know, who uh, served 20 years in prison said of Gary, Gary's no angel, but he never admitted to anyone he'd done the Doyle family. He never admitted to fuck all in his life. <laughs> now Campbell, Thomas Campbell, points the finger of blame at Tam, the licensee McGraw, who I mentioned before, and I think we have a picture of this guy. But this guy, for decades, was one of the most feared criminals in the Glasgow underworld. Yeah. I mean, he ran rackets, drug sales. Uh, he had particular expertise in armed robberies. Cool. But uh, what's strange, though, while well, a lot of his you know, rivals and uh, accomplices were um, prosecuted and jailed, he never uh, ended, up, ended up having to deal with the police. Never caught oh, much uh, flack from the police. Yeah. Hmm. So Campbell said that McGraw started the blaze that killed the Doyle family. And uh, so accusing someone like, so Campbell got out of prison and here he is vocally, you know, fingering McGraw here saying like, this is the guy that he's not snitching, but he's, you know, claiming that McGraw, one of the most feared, you know, leaders of the criminal Glasgow's underworld here um, was responsible for this murder. So this isn't going to end well for Campbell. No, I mean, word gets around that, that someone's, uh, you know, a bit of a loudmouth. So in April 2002, uh, McGraw and one of his thugs spotted Campbell in a park, and they stabbed him a couple of times in the buttocks. And then they, <laughs> and then they uh, um, weighed in on him with a seven-iron golf club. I don't know anything about golf. Is that one of the heavier golf clubs? Is it? Is I don't know it, either. I don't know. Is it a putter? Golf club. I, I think yeah, it would just, just hurt hit. regardless. Why do they have a golf club? It's a bit of a weird thing to be walking around with. A golf maybe that club. maybe that was like his, you know, gangster symbol or something like you know his trademark club. weapon. It's like yeah. he's a golfer. He's know, the he's clubber. A, he's a clubber. Um, Campbell barely escaped with his life here. But soon after, uh, Tam McGraw's, I love that name, Tam McGraw, um, Tom, his yeah. criminal empire started to fall apart with several of his close associates being murdered. He then fled to his fortified properties in Spain, where he oh, died God. of a heart attack in 2007 at the young age of 55. It's like sexy beast. You can't cheat death. Yeah, he's a criminal that was uh, fleeing to the south of Spain. But police never you know, really put much... Uh, credence into what Campbell is saying saying they never reopened the murder investigation I'm sure they're on Tam's payroll um I mean there are many in the underworld who did believe that McGraw was a police informant and so he was informing snitching on his rivals while also you know paying the police handsomely for uh, protection uh, the cops let him carry on with his criminal enterprises in exchange for squealing on the lesser villains so he was kind of eliminating his competition by, it's almost like the cops are in his payroll, you know? The cops are in his gang. Yeah, it's um, Taylor's oldest time. There have even been claims that officers gave him drugs that they had confiscated in raids so he could sell them on the street and cut them in on a little bit of profit. So, so, so sketchy. So yeah. sketchy. Um, so the ice cream wars kind of petered out 
especially after Doyle, after all the uh, the heat that was put on with that case. But it Literal. continued for a few more years to like the mid to late 80s um, and the housing schemes. There are minor acts of revenge here and there. But eventually, though, the ice cream van business kind of stopped being a lucrative business in Glasgow um, because ice cream is available at corner stores now. There are more corner stores. So, um, you know, you didn't really need to have these ice cream mobile shops coming out to the outskirts of town. You could just go to a corner store, get your ice cream, get your toilet paper. Um, and today, I mean, there still are ice cream trucks. There are. Um, but it's in serious decline. There's only a few thousand in the UK now. It, is that it? Yeah. yeah. That's a shame. They're so delightful with their jingles. When they go I like by. them. I have fond memories of uh, of the ice cream trucks. You'll hear um, when I lived. I was about in, to ask. Not in uh, K-Town, but when I lived in uh, Hollywood. Um, you'd hear this one that would come by and it always played the Godfather theme. Like, <laughs> I thought not it was really ominous. It's just weird. <laughs> it's like, and it was just like this. I, and they're always a lotto trucks. It's always uh, Mexican ice cream. A lotto is ice cream in Spanish. The but, one um, here is the Scooby Doo mystery machine. One of the ones here. Wait, it looks like the mystery van? It's painted up exactly the same and it plays the Scooby Doo theme, but it's the jingle of Scooby Doo. Wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that used to be in my old neighborhood where I used to live uh, closer to the city. But that was cool to just see driving around. Who's driving it, Shaggy? Just a man. Just a man with a mask. What, what kind Usually. of mask is he wearing? I don't know, but it would take some uh, meddling kids to, to, to unmask figure him, it out. Figure it yes. out. <laughs> you know, many housing schemes in Glasgow have banned the ice cream vans. Still to this day. Well, to this day, they've banned the vans, not for what you think, not because of drugs. It's because uh. of uh, concerns about childhood obesity and noise oh, pollution. <laughs> not because of violence. Not like the ice cream <laughs> men are going to fight each other. So they just don't want fat, sodbuster Glas Glaswegians. Yeah, they're happy with the violence, but they just don't want the fatties. <laughs> <laughs> but the trend of hawking drugs under the guise of a friendly neighborhood ice cream man um, still continues to this day, especially in New York. You know, and that's one thing. I remember even in the 90s, I had heard that there were ice cream trucks in New York City that were selling blow and selling ecstasy and other drugs. I never actually bought drugs from an ice cream truck in New York City, but and I bought ice cream. Mr. Softy is one of the best soft serve ice creams I've ever had. It's a um, classic. It's a, yeah, Mr. Softy trucks are ubiquitous in New York City. But uh, I recall in the 90s, um, which obviously now that it's legalized in New York City, it's not going to be an issue anymore. But in the Lower East Side, they had these like juice bars, like where you go in and you get like orange juice or apple juice or whatever, freshly squeezed juice. But it was like these sort of like barren juice bars. I remember thinking it was really weird. Like you go in there and it'd be like two things on the menu. It's like orange juice or grapefruit juice. And that's it. And this whole storefront. And there'd be like two gangsta dudes, like with big gold chains just sitting there. And so if you went in and you had the card and you could be like, here, then they'd be like, all right. And they'd lock the door and then pull out all this weed. And then that's when you just bought your weed. And sometimes other drugs too, like mushrooms or blow. Um, but then if like, you know, if there was a customer in there, like a tourist or something, they'd all be like, all right, what you want? And then like making orange juice and you just kind of had to wait till the tourists leave. <laughs> but yeah, the juice bars were pretty fairly common. Sometimes they were like all Rasta dudes. 
that would be in there. It's pretty funny. When I was a teenager, my my actual weed dealer was also the Chinese takeaway delivery driver. So you just used to ring him up and be like, hey, it's me. Can I get some spring rolls? God, that's so convenient. And then 20 minutes later, he would show up and you'd, you'd get your weed, you'd pay and him, and you'd get some spring rolls. So it was, was like in, the best business. Yeah, I and mean, it's so convenient, too. When I was in college in Ann Arbor, we had the same deal at the backdoor pizza place. You'd order pizza, but if you said the code word... Words, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, extra oregano or whatever it was. They would come over and they'd bring your, you know, your bag and inside would be a bag of weed. And oh, the pizza. It great. It's just so clever. Do you know what? That's what they should start doing in LA. They should start doing um, door drop off weed with pizzas and fries. I would, I would just subscribe to that. Yeah. It, very convenient. Um, but yeah, I always thought it was kind of funny, especially the gangsters making juice for you. And sometimes <laughs> you had to buy a juice too. Like just to make it like seem legitimate. <laughs> well, you don't want to get the cotton mouth. You do get cotton mouth when you smoke the weed, so it makes sense to have the juice with the juice. I suppose, but uh, I just was like, "Come on, I just want a dime bag. <laughs> Go smoke my weed. Leave me alone." Uh, but as recently as 2013, uh, police arrested a Brooklyn truck driver for selling cocaine and oxycodone from his ice cream van. Uh, undercovers, undercover officers said you had to ask for a vanilla ice cream cone and you'd receive cocaine in a straw hat. Vanilla's a bit <laughs> obvious, isn't it? Well, they called the operation uh, Operation Snow Cone. I like it. Is that as good as spe- Special Chimes Unit? I don't I think it's the on par. Special Chimes Unit. That should be the name of a band or at least an special, album. Special, I don't know. It sounds a bit like Jimmy Savile could be in the Special Chimes Unit. <laughs> Would you buy ice cream from Jimmy Savile? I'm old enough that Jimmy Savile would uh, find me quite repulsive. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a movie that came out about uh, the ice cream wars. In 1984, Bill Forsyth wrote and directed a movie called Comfort and Joy. Okay, um, I've never and heard it starred, of that. Yeah, it starred Bill Patterson as a radio host who tries to broker peace between two warring ice cream vending families in Glasgow. Right. I'm going to so, check yeah, it out. Like comfort, comfort and joy. The Warriors set in Glasgow. Yeah. Pretty interesting story. Um, it's episode 787 here, Sick and Wrong. Um, we have some new stories come up next. Uh, we have some good stories this week, actually. I found like this really nice. random one. Um, they're running me a Breaking Bad. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll get some phone calls a little later in the show. But first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. So before you've actually penetrated her with your Johnson, you're going to just rub the tip, the head, the glands of your shaft around her outer labia and over her clitoris. And you're just going to tease her by saying things like, oh, I don't even know if I should even put it in today. I don't even know if you just, I don't even know if you deserve <laughs> Put it in today? Like what? I'm a today. fucking microwave. Just teasing up like that and then... Wait, wait, wait. So you're supposed to rub your dick up and down her pussy and on her club being like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to put this in. I don't know. Today. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if yeah. you play your cards right, Missy, you might get this <laughs> cock inside of you, Okay. But for now, I'm just going to rub it on the outside, all right? Oh, my God. This guy. <laughs> How annoyed would you be? 
I just feel like put it in today. I'd be like, oh well, give me shoot me an email when you're ready to put it in. <laughs> For only five dollars a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever so the first story we have here is about a guy who's like a real-life version of Walter White from Breaking Bad. Like, I know you don't like Breaking Bad. I do not. But uh, you're wrong. It's a great show. And, it is uh, so overrated. And it could only happen in America where you, where you have to pay for your health care. story couldn't have happened anywhere else. It could happen anywhere. And it's a brilliant story. And it's an excellent series. It's and, not. Uh, yeah, if if you were able to uh, intellectually, you know, <laughs> accept Breaking Bad and understand uh, the genius behind it, um, then then, then you'd like it. Getting uh, Breaking Bad mansplained to me—it's one of my favorite <laughs> hobbies. <laughs> I enjoy Breaking Bad. I also like Better Call Saul. But this guy literally is a is a Walter White, taking away the the medical aspect of it. Um, okay. Because that was really a very little part of the show. It was only the first couple of seasons. Because then he he um, goes into remission. But he might be, you know, in remission from the the disease that was killing him. But there's a mental disease happening, which is obviously the case of this guy. Beloved high school basketball coach was killed trying to rob a Mexican drug cartel. Why, Kate? Why would a basketball coach in a high school need to rob a Mexican drug cartel? Well, how much do a, does a basketball coach make? Like twenty grand a year? No, he was in uh, North Carolina. He's, he was a popular basketball coach. I bet you he probably was pulling in sixty, sixty k. Yeah, maybe he's done it for the frills. That's what I'm wondering. Or maybe he was trying to start his own criminal organization. And that as well. He should have got an ice cream truck. Um, Barney Harris, such a good basketball coach name, Barney Harris, Coach Barney, uh, was said to have made a positive impact on the students. And uh, he had a motto. His motto was, all love, no fear. He pretty much He's just done took... He's the frills. Well, he pretty much yeah. just took the no fear logo and just added all love in the beginning. It's confusing. <laughs> Isn't that confusing? I don't get it. Um, please now say he died in a hail of bullets. After targeting a Mexican drug cartel. Like Ned Kelly. Yeah, more or less, yeah, definitely. It's, it's kind of odd. Um, at first, I was also, you know, we'll get into it, but I have some theories about what, what, what motivated him to uh, take on the Mexican drug cartel. Students and parents joined in mourning the sudden death of a very popular high school basketball coach earlier this week in Monroe, North Carolina. Uh, they finally recalled his uplifting all love, no fear motto. I think it's just weird. Like if a coach is just like, it's all love, no fear. No fear. Are uh, they going to chisel that on his grave? It feels like they're going to. I was thinking he was trying to like, you know, groom me into like diddling me or something. You know, <laughs> It's all love. Don't no fear, fear my dick that I'm about to put into <laughs> your uh, anus. I'd be like, no, this is weird. This is weird. I, I have fear here. Hey, it's all love. <laughs> Um, he also gave his students a lot of encouragement and motivation, and he had a smile that will forever remain etched in our hearts. 
You had an <laughs> indelible impression on these kids. Terrifying. You know, I would think, I would think if I had a, like a coach or a high school, he was probably a gym teacher or whatever. And I thought he was really cool and I admired him just because he was a really cool gym teacher with this hip, all fear, no love or love, whatever. All love. fear, all fear, no love. <laughs> That's actually, I prefer all fear, no love because if you're going to go and take on another school, uh, when you're playing sports, don't you want to cause them fear? No, that's you the don't want to love them. It should be all fear, no love. Yeah, that's the the Nazi motto there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but if I had a teacher that I respected and I thought he was super cool, and then I found out that he was like moonlighting as like a drug cartel member, fighting like drug cartels and like running his own criminal organization, I'd be like, this guy is the fucking coolest teacher ever. He's even cooler now, definitely. I mean, at my high school, we just had pedophiles. It's like... <laughs> yeah, gaudy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we seriously, we had four pedophiles while I was in high school. That's crazy. And yet you never got touched because you weren't one of the pretty ones. What are you saying, Kate? What's that you thing? weren't one of the pretty ones. It's that simple. Otherwise, you would have been touched. Are you pedo shaming me? I'm Peter shaming you. <laughs> Not you being an, an attractive ugly, child. <laughs> an ugly Jewish fat child. Yeah, I never, maybe, you know, maybe they thought that I would be resistant to their grooming efforts. Yeah, you probably were. You know? They also didn't touch steel either, did they? Well, he has a useless pickle, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, a couple of days later after uh, their mourning, the loss of their, their, their beloved high school basketball coach and teacher here. Uh, the local sheriff dropped a bombshell. Teacher Barney Dale Harris died while trying to rob a Mexican drug cartel. And now everybody is flummoxed. They don't it's know how to make sense of this. That they have a Mexican drug cartel in North Carolina. Actually, I think that makes sense. You know, there's, well, the reason being is because you're shipping a lot of drugs. There's different points. Like you're shipping drugs all the way of from course. the South, all the way up to New York. And so I bet you they just funnel in, you know, cocaine, speed, you know, all the different drugs. And these are just safe houses along the way. But why North Carolina? You think it would be like Philadelphia? I'm sure they have the, uh, it's a huge drug cartel. It's the uh, Jalisco New Generation. It's one of the biggest. So I'm sure they right. have like houses, like stash houses all over. Okay. But this one was in uh, in in North Carolina, or yeah, North Carolina. So Harris um, taught it taught Spanish, and bas- he was a basketball coach at the Union Academy Charter School. Uh, he was found dead last week in a mobile home belonging to the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, widely considered to be the most powerful and ruthless drug cartel in Mexico. Harris, forty years old here, seemed to have come prepared for a fight. He was found in the stash house wearing a bulletproof vest, gloves, and a face cover. He had been shot multiple times, riddled with bullets. It was almost like an old Western-style shootout, adding that three neighboring homes were left riddled with bullet holes. So it was like a full-on like gunfight in this trailer park. Um, Investigators found 30 shell casings in and around the trailer, uh, they seized 1.2 kilos of suspected cocaine, five guns, and seven thousand dollars in cash. Do you okay. think they would have more in a in a stash house? Maybe, maybe they just been to the bank that day. But 1.2 kilos of coke is a lot. That is so, a lot. Yeah. 
So apparently, this is this is what went down. Harris suited up in his body armor, along with his brother-in-law, Stephen Alexander Stewart Jr., also in body armor, went to the trailer in order to rob a cartel member named Alonzo Beltran Lara. Um, the attempted attack wasn't meant to be a one-off either. Harris and Stewart were tracking the cartel's movements like throughout North Carolina, and they had a map where they pinpointed all the different stash houses that they were planning to rob. Oh, wow. This is like the Kelly gang. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this was a coordinated effort. They were basically going to... I think... I bet you what they what they planned, I bet you it was the brother that went to the basketball coach. It's just like, two of us can go in there. It's going to be like a 10-minute deal. We go in, yeah. we take the drugs, we take the money, and then we just hit five of these places, and we'll be fine. No one will suspect you. You're a gym teacher. Yeah. Don't mess with the cartels. Come on. No. Come on. I mean, they're like the most fearsome uh, drug cartel in all of Mexico. I'd leave and them alone. They will torture you as well. I've they, seen Scarface. I know what they do in bathtubs. I've seen Live Leak. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, seriously, why do you want to take on the cartel? That's the question here, and I have a theory on it. The okay. I-85 and I-40 corridor has caused Alamance County here in North Carolina to be a great place to deposit their drugs. And so there's a growing presence of uh, the drug cartel here in this area. I think it's because it's kind of like, you know, right in the middle between New York and uh you know and uh florida so you have like you can run drugs right from miami all the way up to uh to new york and then it's also in the middle where you can bring drugs straight to the midwest okay so it's kind of a it just seems like a convenient area um investigators believe that harris arrived at the trailer while the alleged drug runner who lived there um 18 year old alonzo beltran lara wasn't home so the teacher was dressed in a bulletproof vest, face covering gloves. He went inside to wait for him. So this is kind of a weird thing. I wonder if he was tipped off by one of his students. What, about where this could be? or Yeah, like how this is the stash house. It's like there's going to be like a bunch of cash in there. This is where we buy our drugs. So I wonder if he was tipped off and was like, we should just you know, rob this thing. He's probably buying drugs on the side for himself. I don't necessarily think it was the students. Well... The weird thing, though, this is what I thought was odd. So he went into the house, and he waited for the drug runner to return. Yeah, that's so. Odd. Why not just rob the place? I would, yeah, rob it, and maybe, maybe because that. maybe because they were expecting more. Like or you said, he's a vigilante. Oh, he's a vigilante. I think he yeah. was trying to like take out the cartels. And so he had his body armor outfit, and he was in there waiting for them to come, and so he could kill them all. To send a Maybe message. rob them. Maybe rob them, too. I mean, but I think he might have been a vigilante. Okay. Yeah, I can see what That's you're saying. That's my theory here. So yeah. it's not clear exactly how the violence unfolded, but around 1 a.m., multiple 911 calls came in from uh, mobile home park residents reporting gunshots. None of the residents were injured, but as the bullets flew, they punctured a handful of homes that were nearby. Uh, one projectile even hit a power box, which uh, knocked out the trailer's electricity. Uh, people were scared to death. Um, not surprising. I mean, I doubt the double wides are bulletproof. But do you think that like gunshots are probably commonplace in the trailer parks? Possibly. Wouldn't you be you know? so annoyed? 1 a.m. 
Like you just, you're probably high. You're probably watching television, and now this is all going on. You got to hit the decks. Well, I'd be annoyed. You, know, you in the UK, you probably have never had to hear a drive-by. <laughs> no, they they don't happen here. <laughs> Try to do a drive-by with a with a knife. Um, but yeah, no, here, not in my new neighborhood, but in K Town, we definitely heard them. Um, and uh, downtown used to hear it every now and then. And it's like, it's really weird. And, and even in San Francisco, when I live in the Mission, you'd hear the drive-bys. Not often, but uh, I lived by a project when I lived in the Mission, right by the Valencia Gardens projects. Every now and then, you just like, at like 1.30 a.m., you just hear boom, 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 boom. And then a car just like taking off. And it's super loud. Yeah. It's very jarring. So I can imagine at 1 a.m., you know, you're sitting there, you know, watching like, you know, reruns of... Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, and uh, <laughs> or the Office, and you're sitting there. All of a sudden, you start hearing like not just four gunshots and a car taking off, like fifty rounds of gunshots, like a full-on fight. I would be like, "What the fuck?" You'd be hitting the decks, and you'd just oh, totally. And you'd be down. I would be yeah. I mean, I would just think that they're coming for me or something. I'd be down on the ground. Um, so deputies arrived to find Harris dead in a bedroom, still wearing his bulletproof vest. Uh, the drug dealer, the drug runner, Lara, his hands and feet were bound, and he was shot execution style. Oh, so he was going to send a message. I think so. I think he was, like, taking them out. Um, though he was still clinging to life when police got there, uh, he died in a nearby hospital. Uh, deputies did not disclose who they believe shot Lara, but, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious here. Uh, the trailer looked like it had been ransacked, and they were looking for money or drugs or both. Uh, deputies found a bag with the 1.2 kilos of cocaine and $7,000 in cash. Now, his brother, uh, his brother-in-law, Stuart, fled following the firefight, but he was found at his home with related objects tied to the crime scene. So okay. he was charged with first-degree burglary and first-degree murder. He's being held oh. without bond. So maybe, I mean, that makes me think, like, Maybe he was there to, to, to rip them off. But the news of the violent circumstances surrounding Harris's death has rocked Monroe, where Union Academy, the school, issued a statement two days earlier calling on students to wear school colors to celebrate Harris, their beloved teacher. They lauded him, saying that his motto, all love, no fear, <laughs> will be forever a part of who we are as, at, at the school love each other and live each day to the fullest. Just go and rob drug cartels, take their cocaine, take their money. Have no fear. No fear. No fear. <laughs> but on Wednesday, the sheriff suggested that the beloved basketball, basketball coach had been moonlighting as a violent criminal. And okay. so now the, the yeah. school's kind of confused and they're shocked and they don't know if they're going to issue another statement saying... <laughs> We're not going to abide by the all love, no fear <laughs> motto anymore. <laughs> now, you know, I think they're questioning um, what they thought of this teacher. Harris left behind a wife and three kids. Um, he had been working at the Union Academy since July 2017. Um, people love this family. People love the coach. Um, they say it's, it's, you know, it's been a very difficult time now with the, with the revelation from the sheriff. Um, there's a GoFundMe that's been set up for the Harris's family, um, uh, which uh, you know is full of praise for the teacher. That's weird. Like, why wouldn't you just use the drug money? I bet you this guy, 
but you never watched Breaking Bad, but Walt had a stash in a storage unit that was just like a pallet of all, because he couldn't put his cash in the bank. And he had so much cash. It was like a pallet, like six feet high, just of stacked with money. I bet this guy had a storage unit. Or I bet you he probably still does. No one knows where it is now. Um, yeah, filled but, uh, with cash that would also and cocaine. Police evidence now. Sadly. Well, I wonder, because in uh, Breaking Bad, Walt's wife, at first he, he hid it from her, but then he eventually like came clean and he took her to the storage unit, and then she got into it, like helping him well, launder yeah. money and all that. So I wonder if Harris's wife knew about this. I mean, his, his brother-in-law went with him. Yeah. I mean, where are you yeah. going to hide the body armor and the guns? I don't know. Husbands have many secrets from their wives, don't they? I guess. Maybe at a secret cave where he keeps secret his, cave. like, bat-shaped outfits and weaponry. <laughs> um, the sheriff struck an ominous tone here on Wednesday, saying that Harris's death may not be the last violence tied to the cartel. When we're dealing with the Mexican drug cartels, somebody is going to die. The Mexican cartels, they don't forget. They're going to pay somebody back somewhere. So I bet you they come for the wife, because there's probably a lot of money missing. I was thinking they're going to come for the brother-in-law who's still alive. They're going to come well, and kill him. he's in jail, though. Well, they they're probably get, get him in jail, him. yeah. It's going to be even easier to get him in jail than it is um, anywhere else. He was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, first-degree burglary. Um... It's not clear if he has retained counsel yet, but the investigation is ongoing and there might be additional charges. I want to see, I'm going to follow up on this one because I want to see if there were other drug cartel stash houses that were robbed in the area or if they find like, you know, a storage unit with a ton of money. You, you love this storage unit of money idea. Well, of course you I, do. I mean, where else are you going to put your money? In a storage unit. I mean, I guess you could maybe get a like a safety deposit box at a bank, but when oh, you're but talking a, like a, a pallet full of it. money, I would love a pallet full of money. I could spend the shit out of that. <laughs> that would be all right. Yeah, you gotta go rob what? some cartels. No, that's okay. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have here for the second story? For my story, I have that a pastor's wife confesses to plotting. His murder, along with their lover, after a month's-long tryst. Ooh. Da, da, da. A love triangle. Ve well, is it? Kirsty Dowell Evans and Khalil Demi Square were taken into custody on Thursday after she allegedly admitted to her role in the killing of her husband, Pastor David Evans. So this does say that it's a love triangle, but it only remains that for now. They would have motel room trysts, and the uh, Oklahoma pastor engaged in with them both, with his wife and the other man. And it turned murderous last week when he was shot to death with his own gun in his own bed as he slept. Whoa, so this pastor was totally into MMF threesomes. MMF threesomes. Yeah. yeah that's, that was totally what they were into. You think they were double penning his wife? Yeah, I think she was just being filled with cock. God loves that. <laughs> yeah, God I'm sure... Gotta I'm prove. sure it says in the Bible somewhere that you can do this <laughs> and it's fine. Just go find a guy and just fill up her holes. That's what God <laughs> thinks you should do. Well, that's what God is there for, to fill you up spiritually. All so, love. All love, no, no fear. fear. <laughs> 
So Christy Evans, who is 47, she was taken into custody after allegedly confessing to her role in the killing of her husband, Pastor David Evans, who was 50, inside of their home in the city of Ada, Oklahoma. So 26-year-old, so their lover, 26-year-old um, Khalil Demi Square, he's been arrested too. So she asked her lover Square to kill her husband, telling him that she'd been subjected to ongoing verbal abuse from her spouse. And the two allegedly plotted the pastor's murder while he was abroad on a religious mission. So this, you know, this pastor's off, he's doing the Lord's work and they're doing Satan's work. They're conspiring planning to murder, murder. See, this, this is the problem with MMFs. Cause the, it? well, it's inevitable that obviously you're seeking another person because you just don't have the equipment to satisfy your wife. So you find another guy That's that true. does. And now she's like, yeah, I don't need, you know, I don't need the small dick, the chewed up Tootsie Roll. Like I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, she wants like the full, you know, the full thing. And so, um, yeah, you get just kind of discarded and that's what's happening here. So he shouldn't have done it. Should have, he shouldn't have been engaging in this tryst, but he could have fallen in love with him as well. I guess, yeah, I wonder, was it like a bisexual thing? Like, do you think he was into the guy as well? Well, it must have been because it, the affair the the affair between the three of them went on for months. So he well, can't he not might have been, been into, liking it. But he might have been into cuckolding too, like watching. He could have been. Well, yeah. he is a pastor, isn't he? So that could make sense. God loves cuckolding. I, re I know that passage on the Bible. That's like page 12. Yeah, it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> so um, she initially told authorities, like they always do, that an intruder had entered her home and shot her husband. Um, this is when he had obviously been found dead. And evidence collected at the scene and they, you know, conducted interviews. They quickly led them to believe that it was the victim's wife and Square. Um, and she eventually just confessed to it. And she talked about the three of them Amateurs. had been having a continuous affair and they would book the same room at the same local Super 8 motel. And it had been going on for months. Investiga investigators like looked back and they could see how often they were going there to bang, to have this illicit threesome. Did you look at a picture of her? Is she attractive in any way? I actually didn't look at a picture of them. I wasn't interested. I wanted to look at the hotel. I wanted to see how often they were banging. Well, I'm also wondering what, like, so this young guy, I wonder where they met this young guy. Because they're in their um, 50s, right? They're middle aged, right? Yeah, oh, Tinder. Oh, you think it was yeah. Tinder? A creepy yeah. couple looking for a third. Well, this does answer your question from before, though, because, yeah, they were meeting up for this threesome all the time. At least once a week, they were meeting up for a threesome. But then uh, Christy and Square, they decided that they were also going to start banging. So I think you're right. She was yep. sick of his chewed up Twinkie dick, and she wanted um, the chocolate Swiss roll to yeah. fill her up. Yeah. She wanted the, the, the whole thing, the real deal, the full sausage. And to, she did it in secret, too. She wasn't brazen about it. What she did was, when they were uh, having the tryst at the motel room, she just um, gave gave him her phone number on a piece of uh, paper, and then they just started texting each other, and they were just sending each other, like, hoary messages, probably nudes as well. So I wonder how they must have been... I bet you the pastor was arranging it, probably over email. 
<laughs> yes, the pasta and then email. She had to like surreptitiously slip her phone number to her paramour, who has a way bigger Todger, I'm sure. Oh yeah, he's got a Swiss roll cock. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some she... girth. Women love the girth. And while he was away, so he went on his mission trip to Mexico uh, while they were planning to murder him. He just moved into the house. Just moved into the house and lived with her. With Wait, his Swiss so... roll cock. Oh, okay. So the, the lover moved into the house with a big dick. Yeah, then... to, to plan this murder. And they know this because his car was parked outside the house for days. This isn't like the brightest of sparks here, is it? If you're going to be planning a murder. You know, the other day, um, I was walking well, I was walking to the post office. But I live right by a place called The Pleasure Chest, which is a sex shop. And so as I was going to the post office, I was like, oh, I might just go into the pleasure chest. Haven't been here in a long time. And so I went to the pleasure chest, and I was just kind of looking at things, trying not to laugh. And you and you got to like be really slick if you take pictures in there because they get really upset. Of but one thing I was trying to take a picture, but the guy kept looking at me, so I couldn't really <laughs> do it, was this like these dick holsters. I can't really – I'm trying to describe them. It's like a big, massive black dick that you put your dick inside. So you like put oh. your dick in the dick, and then you can – I'm assuming – it's probably either for men or women, but it's like this thing was fucking massive. It was at least like a foot long, and I don't know what the radius when you said, would be. When you said dick holster, the first thing that came to mind was like a gun holster that you'd wear on your hip and you'd put your dildos in it. That's what I pictured. <laughs> they actually did have something like that, like a utility belt for dildos. Yeah, the dildos that would well, make they, sense. That's they had a practical. strap on with like a yeah, it had like a little belt on it. But no, this was like a thing. Like you put your cock in this silicone big mold of a bigger dick. So I right. would be offended if my if girlfriend a- was just like, um. Do you mind using this thing? I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. but, but, but I would, I don't know if I'd be offended. I would just be kind of crushed, like really, really gutted. Bought you a present. <laughs> she, she like brings me this present. It's like, seriously, you need this big, like, you know, foot long dick holster? Yeah. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, taking a picture of it. I'd never seen one of those before, but apparently they make. Well, those. apparently I haven't either, because I thought it was a <laughs> fucking gun holster belt. <laughs> the dildos. Put my dildos in here. Uh, so, how they uh, conducted this stupid murder was on the night of March twenty second. She left the back door to their home opened. Uh, Swiss rollcock entered, and she handed him. Um, her husband, the pastor's magnum, uh, research nine millimeter, whatever that looks like, some bullets. And she just waited in the living room till she heard a pop sound. And then Square ran out the house. She went in the bedroom, found the pastor dead and making a gurgling sound. And she just called 911. Hold on, so do they it. have children? Um, Not that I could tell by the oh, story. Okay, right. no well, then in that case, something like that would work. But if their kids were sleeping in the other room and she let this guy come in and murder her, their father, that yeah. would be problematic. Oh, that's worse, isn't it? So remember before I said she had been planning this murder and she convinced um, the lover because she said that her husband had been verbally abusive to her. She says that he had spent years calling her names like slut, fat and ugly. And when she told this to Square, he replied back with, damn. 
<laughs> well, he's right about the slut part. I don't know about that. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, but Damn. she had been painting a totally different picture of her marriage online, as people tend to do. Because in the days leading up to her husband's killing, she had posted on Facebook numerous times about the love that they had for each other, telling her friends and all the people that could see her Facebook that he had left her a series of religious themed necklaces and personalized cards. There was one for each day that he was in Mexico. There was five personalized necklaces, ladies, she wrote. They had my name, initial, verse, charms, and everything in between. Truly beautiful. So every day I opened a card and I was reminded of how blessed, loved, and lucky I am. I love you so much, David, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And the next day she like arranges the murder of this man. Yes. Wow. Of David. So she's obviously in jail now. Well, I think she's creating a pretense. She's also creating an alibi in a sense, but she's a, she's a shitty liar. He obviously did those things, though. He, like, you know, he left her some nice necklaces and a card for every day that he was away. How many husbands do that? Yeah, but with the cards, what did the card say? Did it say, like, you're fat, You're you're fat, stupid, (laughs) ugly slut. (laughs) And when I get back, we're having a threesome at that hotel. (laughs) That's all that we can do to save this marriage. Yeah. So they're both they're both in jail in the Cleveland County Detention Center. Court dates have been scheduled for April. Um, so the church that the pastor Evans uh, was working at, um, they just expressed surprise. Uh, they asked for privacy. That he's and they, a pervert. Yeah, and they asked, and this is the little statement, very short statement that they gave out. We are aware that even pastors can succumb to human frailty. And we ask that our privacy be respected at this time as we as a church family grieve and process all of these events. There's nothing I love better than Christian hypocrisy. Yes, I do. I, I love that when you see like, uh, like who's that guy, Ted Haggard, the um, mega church leader who is like completely oh, against gay marriage. You know, he's like very anti like homosexuality and everything. Well, they found him in like a best Western, just with like two male hookers naked, just smoking meth. <laughs> yeah. Having, having the night of his life. Why not? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And it was a regular occurrence. Like the, the prostitutes, you know, the two escorts knew him by name. And then, uh, yeah, it came out and it was just like, yeah, the Christian hypocrisy at its finest. He is. But, you know, I mean, he could have been a cool pastor for all we know. Pasta, I'm saying it like the food. He was a cool pasta dish. <laughs> Best served cold. Well, he was into the double pen, but it sounds like he probably had to take the back door, though. Smaller fit, you know? Yeah, with his dried up Twinkie. No, what did you say? A chewed up Twinkie. <laughs> chewed up Tootsie Roll. That's what it was. Um, wow, well, they're, they're, that's tragic, but I think right there is a cautionary tale. You know, you um, got to be wary. You got to check the dick size of the other M in the MMF. Yeah, and I would also be wary of uh, people who post constantly on their Facebook about how much they love their partner. Be- this, because they're probably being filled your by back, a Swiss, Swiss yeah, roll cock. They're conspiring in. to murder you. That's they what are. happens. Mm-hmm. People send your story, podcast at gmail.com. We have some phone calls coming up next. Um, 323-522-4032. Remember, you can call the Sigrong hotline, keep it under three minutes. 
Uh, we had some good ones, actually. Uh, we always get good calls. We've been getting some actually really good calls recently. Um, and people have been emailing. You can email the show, too. You can, uh, you can even send a Facebook voice message. So many different ways to be heard. Really. Well, before we get to the call, so here's a word from Adam and Eve. Hey, sick and wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. I got to tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives. I bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E, and you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you. So we got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, the first call is an update from a guy who likes buttholes. That could be anyone. Hey, what's up, guys? This is a follow-up call about my Tinder date, the, uh, the butthole pictures girl. <laughs> well, guess what? We are an official couple. We're dating. No! We're very much in love. Uh, Mazel tov. That's Congratulations. Like, how many people find love through their like your mutual affinity of assholes, you know? For you, just a chick sending you her asshole on Tinder. Oh my God. Please well, I think it's great. It's wedding. like she loves showing her asshole. He loves looking at assholes. It's a perfect, you know, perfect union. So Mazel tov. I'm happy to hear that. Me too. In fact, she gave me a gift to celebrate our, our love affair. Uh, as you guys know, she's a bit of an amateur photographer, so she actually went out and took some pictures for me. Uh, a lot of uh, high-definition, extreme close-ups. Then she went and printed them out on glossy paper. Then she went and... I hope she went to, like, a Rite Aid or a Walgreens and used their <laughs> photo printers. <laughs> <laughs> did it just in front of it well over here you could do that in like a we've got a pharmacy kind of like makeup store called boots so i'm imagining her in boots with everyone just looking behind it her yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, how it is here loading too. it up yeah <laughs> added captions to them in pen you know a lot of like uh like come here daddy with an arrow pointing you know <laughs> then this crazy bitch went out and had them professionally laminated I don't know what uh, kinko she went. What? She can right. wank on them. Oh, so he can wank on the picture without ruining them. Yeah, that's like an extra step. I've never thought to do that. Um, you know what she needs to do? She needs to make you a wank book. A wank book is better. Or yeah. a wank calendar. I think a wank calendar would suit this guy as well. A wank calendar would work. You know, every day of the week, a different... Or, you know, every month, you know. But a wank book... You know, she can get the pictures. They could be protected. Kind of he could flip through done. it and wank. Yeah, he could just like punch some holes through the laminate on the side and thread some string or some like you know some nice leather. And uh, it's crazy bind. that she had a lamp. Like, who's laminating these things? See, personally, I would have left it unlaminated because I'd have wanted him to stick the pictures to the wall using his cum. Can't you still do that if it's laminated? 
No, it's just going to slide off. Maybe. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing if he has like a secret stash of these pictures. I think it's really funny how he's like, we're officially in a relationship. You know, I really like her. That crazy bitch. (laughs) 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 Ah, it's young love. It's so beautiful. For that one. And then she gave me all of these pictures so that I could, uh, quote, come all over her when she's not there and not ruin the pictures. And so I could jerk off to her in the shower. So, yeah, you oh. ladies. Now, that is thoughtful. I never thought about that. That's now why he she can got bring the pictures too. into the shower. Maybe that's where he likes to wank the most. So she was, that's why she's done it. She's like, I'll get well, you some shower pics. It was convenient to wake in the shower because you just shoot it down the drain. See, yeah. It's clean. Yeah. But, like, whenever you have a stand-up wank or whenever you come standing up, it's never as good as when you're lying down. Who says that's you're standing up? You have a lie down shower. I got shower. my feet in the you, air. You grieve. Like, <laughs> you cry. <laughs> you do it after you've had your cry or before. I just <laughs> like, like his, he's bringing the waterproof picture set. I'm going to yeah. jerk off the buttholes in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to ruin like the pictures. I like her too. She, she's resourceful. She is. She's very clever. There, if you need a gift idea for your man. Waterproof shower porn. Excellent. There you go, ladies. Waterproof shower porn. But the gift how, he keeps on giving. I think he should amp it up with her. Like, maybe, you know what he should do? He should get one of those silicone molds for his cock and then can make her a dildo so she can fuck herself with his cock when he's not around. I think she'd like that. She seems a bit match. obsessive. She probably would, she, yeah. To make this relationship work, he has to match her energy that she is putting in, or she'll soon find someone else who will match her energy. So he has to do something like that now. Yeah, he has to respond in kind. He probably should. Yeah. Just get a mold get a mold of your dick and give it to her for her birthday and be like It's a, the polite thing to do. I think she would fucking love that. I think she totally would be. Maybe even include a vial of your cum. She'd love that as well. She probably sounds like she'd be really into that. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes you can, like, uh, we interviewed a guy that had a cum cookbook. Maybe cook, like, or a fav- like her, if she likes cupcakes, cook some cupcakes with cum. You can call them cum cakes. She would fuck, she'd love all of this. We're she'd giving this guy some shit great out ideas. Of a cum cake. If you make a cum cake or make them old, you have to let us know. I, I must know how this all goes. She's going to do so. <laughs> she's going to top herself. She's going to do something on top of this to top herself. Like, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even think it's a red flag that she's just obsessed with sending pictures of her butthole. Just, you know, just, uh, I wouldn't it. be too concerned. I mean, she's I, think, I think you found a good thing. Yeah. Just she's make super sure, haunting. but though, make sure you reciprocate. That's what I'm saying. Come cakes. Yeah. All right. Next call we have here is uh, a person who seems to be, you know, a bit experienced in the, uh, the world of varts. That's definitely a, an ongoing theme here on the show. Kate's very experienced in varting. Um, I've now become the spokeswoman for varts, it seems. I've had several messages this week from other women alone, just secretive messages on the side where women are like, that thing you've been talking about on the podcast, I do it too. I'm like, well, do you know what? If I'm going to be known for something, it might as well be varts. I'm for it. So do you have like a vart special interest group? Maybe it I could be an acronym, one. V-A-R-T. We'll think of that. 
vaginas are really terrific. Yes. Yeah, so so vaginas are really why? terrific. And it's just called VART, VART.org. And the chairman and founder is Kay Rambo. I shouldn't be the treasurer, though, because I will spend the money. I think this person there. should be the treasurer. Hiya, it's Sophie. Um, just wanted to call in with some thoughts on the VART, vagina fart conversation. Treasurer, you can speak about VARTs. Um, <laughs> 10 years I've been listening to this show, and apparently this is the first thing that's inspired me enough to call in, so that's something. Um, 10 years. It's definitely a thing. It 100% happens. It's definitely a thing. Sorry, mum. Love you, mum. Um, but yeah, I'm with Kate. It definitely happens. It happens. It's happened to me. Uh, it's happened to my friends. We've spoken about it. Yeah. Before. Well, so every girl has a VART story. Every girl has a VART. It's not even like you need a VART story. It's not like shitting your pants. It's not like a life event. It just happens from time to time. You do it and you move on with your day. It's like, do when... you remember every time you farted? No. It depends on what kind of fart. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> did you ever, when you were a kid and you were like, you know, learning how to menstruate and do all that stuff. <laughs> learning you... <laughs> how to menstruate. <laughs> and, you know, putting on special gloves to remove gloves, your tampons. My pink gloves. Did uh, your mom say like, Kate, a fact of life for women is vaginal farting. And this will happen to you one day and you'll know you're a woman then. Like did that? No. You never had that conversation? No, because like I said to you, it's something women do that we just don't talk about with each other. But now mm. it's all coming out in the open on this podcast. It's the yeah. first. People for the should world. be open about things. Four. And also on a Facebook group that I'm on, there was actually a conversation about it recently. Oh, she's in a Facebook VART group. That's amazing. Oh, I wonder shit, what's called. But I'm not the the I'm not the spokesman on that. The chairman? So it can't be, yeah, it can't be one I'm in. I just think it's funny that she's in a Facebook group specifically for Varding. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly and, what the Facebook um, group is on. Specifically about that topic. <laughs> and pretty much every woman in the group had experienced it. Um, one of them said that it felt like a marble is rolling from the back to the front and then out. Which I would say is, yeah, that kind of works as a description. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not. Um, a marble? A marble, yeah. Does, is that what it feels like? Like a marble's rolling right like through your labias? It's like, a, yeah, like a penny rolling up the wall. It's like kind of how it, what it feels like. It's a good description, though. Ah, it's interesting. I can't really imagine how that feels. Well, you don't have a vagina. <laughs> no, I exactly. That's why it's, you it's... act like you do, but you don't actually have one. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one at times. I am like just so I could fart into it. <laughs> Kate, I wear a lot of tight jeans, and it does only happen when you're sitting down. So maybe that is something like the pressure of the jeans. I don't know. Um, but yeah, sorry, Mum. It does happen. So it well. I think it does. I'm with Stephanie and Kate. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say, just on the foreskin debate, um, as a British woman, my experiences are a bit different. I would say about a third of the men that I've been with have been circumcised, which mm. I think is really high. I don't think that's normal. Um, I would say that's way higher than the average, probably. Um, most of them, I think, just had it done as kids, like for medical reasons or something. I'm not sure. Like none of them have been for religious reasons. Um, there was one who had it done as an adult, 
because he was fucking a girl um, really hard and he went a bit too hard and it tore his foreskin very, very badly. Um, so badly, in fact, that they had to remove it. And now he has a big scar that goes all the way around his dick, um, which would be a shame, but he's also a terrible human being. So, oh, well. <laughs> um, anyway, I better go back to work, but I just wanted to call in and say yeah i'm with you kate i think it definitely is a thing and sorry mum but it it does happen okay love you bye bye so there you go varding is real yes mum the struggle is real the struggle is real it'll happen do you know what because because mum rang in and said that she'd never had a vart i wonder if between her ringing in and saying she's never varted and in between now she's been like every day being like when will i vart <laughs> one day i <laughs> one will day, vart mum put on some really tight jeans or like disco pants and just like sit down for the night and just sit down I mean, and wait it will happen <laughs> it will happen it will honestly maybe it's just because eat uh, some lima beans me and treasure of the varts are like like to wear tight pants because we're slags. This is a <laughs> gathering of the Vod Society for In women. The Vod. <laughs> I now call you all to a meeting of the Vods. Vaginas are really terrific. <laughs> we white. all it. I think that's the whitest thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make a shirt. Vaginas are really terrific. <laughs> it would sell. It would sell. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it. I'm going to put it on Tee Public. A Vart. <laughs> Vaginas are really terrific, sure. <laughs> and that's what all the women that are in Kate Rambo's vart.org group can wear. But, yeah, just don't make me the treasurer because I'll spend the money. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're the chairman yeah. and founder. Um, you know, I have heard of, of a dude snapping their banjo string. We've had a couple people call in about it. Well, my, my pals did it when she was riding a guy. And it was, she just said it was blood everywhere. But she was annoyed because he said, he was like, oh, you must have got your period. And she just looked down and she knew it was real blood. And she was like, nah, that's not period blood. And as soon as she like got off his cock, it was like just. Oh my God. It's like a geyser. I don't get yeah. how that happens because your foreskin. She like banjo string. Yeah, but when your dick gets hard, your foreskin like retracts, right? And it looks like a normal cock, right? Yeah, but then you got your banjo string, which is attached to your foreskin, and you can break the banjo string by being too forceful. But I don't understand. Is the banjo string... Does every foreskin have a banjo string? Okay, I want you to go on the internet right now and type in hard cock. Okay. And then when you're done looking at hard cocks, <laughs> ask so yourself wait. what you're doing with your life, David. Are you saying that all hard cocks have banjo strings? If you've got a foreskin, you've got a banjo string. Because okay. it's what attaches your foreskin to your cock. And you can break that. And when you break that, it's like you'll piss blood. There'll be blood fucking everywhere. What's but what's probably membrane? happened? Yeah, what's probably happened is in um Treasure of the Vart call, um, Vart Treasurer, he she's probably like ripped that. That banjo string has probably been ripped off his cock and they were like, instead of trying to stitch it back on or let it heal naturally, because you can usually just let it heal naturally. They've been like, there's been no saving it and they've had to snip it. So if a if a girl is giving you head and she has braces, can she rip your banjo string on her braces? Yeah. 
God, this is like, so that's another reason not to have a foreskin because there's one more thing you need to worry about being injured in sex. Like you can break your cock. We've had people who have broken their cock. Like, As in like what, in two? No, like, like snapped it during sex. Like there, <sighs> it's whatever that, uh, I don't know. I don't know much about human anatomy, but there's like a tube in there that you can snap. And we had a guy on the show that talked about breaking his cock while fucking. So that's something to be concerned about. But not only can you do that, you can also snap your banjo string. One of my biggest fears has been, um, you know, if you're shagging and then you get stuck together shagging, you got to go to the hospital. I've often wondered if that's an urban myth. No, I think it happens. There's definitely nurses and doctors and like morgue technicians who listen to the show. You've got to let us know it happens. I bet. I I think that's rare. You think it's it isn't a myth? But wouldn't that? As much as I want to kill a man while we're shagging, so I can say that my pussy has killed someone, I don't would then want him to go into rigor rigor mortis and get stuck inside me because then that makes me a necrophilia. Oh yeah. Like if he died, had a heart attack, but he was stuck inside of you, and I couldn't. And then I'm just attached to this dead body, as like his dick is rotting inside of me. Have you ever had a dick? (laughs) As I say, if a dick starts rotting inside of your pussy, then that's taking your diamond level pussy down a couple of notches. Have you ever had a guy pass out while fucking you, like but while being penetrated, like your dick is in? And I've passed out on guys. I've been shagging them. What are, the, is I this just this one typical night. for a northern swag? It's like, it was, eh, happens. Yeah, you fucking, you get drunk, man. I remember I had this one night stand once, and I was like, I was, I was on top of him. I was riding away, and I just like, I just got a bit disorientated because I looked around the room and I just fucking fell off. But I was like, I'm a trooper. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. La la la. Got back on, did exactly the same thing. I fell over again. Did Just he fell keep, straight off. But did he keep fucking you when you were passed out? <laughs> no, I wasn't passed out. I would have finished. Was, yeah, I was just discombobulated. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. That was a funny night. But I remember when I left his house at like 5 a.m. I didn't know where I was. And I literally lived two streets away. And I walked for about four miles in the wrong direction. <laughs> and see, that's what's great about the northern slags. You don't Classy even need times. to buy roofies. It's like, who needs roofies? You just go to northern England. We roofy ourselves. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of England, um, this is a call that I've been saving for a while. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking for an inopportune moment. You know, we talk about vaginal farting. You talk about um, banjo string ripping. Next thing you know, you talk about being ass raped with a broom. This is the Twisted Fire Starter speaking. Yes. Uh, three points. Number one, D. Yes, I was pubic at 16, but I was sort of like <laughs> halfway there. I, I'm a lot airier now. Uh, funny enough, though, my voice was still really high. So on, on the very first day, the first thing we had to do was we all had to line up in the corridor and we were numbered 1 to 48 and we, we each had to shout out our number. So it's like 1, 2, 3, all the way to 48 gets to me and i go 16 and the fucking sergeant just comes pegging it out of the office he goes is there a fucking girl in the platoon oh no it's me sergeant and and they're all just fucking pissing themselves so that that was in like the first 10 minutes of my army career so oh no i would have left the army if i was this guy (laughs) would you i i'd just be like it's not for me is that a girl? 
I was pubic, I swear. Well, I was back in proper pubic. You're the one who was asking underage boys if they're pubic. <laughs> I was wondering. I didn't think he was. If you look at this picture, he does not look pubic. You'll have to show really me get off to a great start. Um, I don't know what you're going to do to that picture. I'll have to laminate it first. For the shower. <laughs> Number two, uh, erectile dysfunction. Yeah, it's it's definitely definitely just all because of the pressure of the situation because i get i get lob-ons all the time you know I, i'm gonna be 30 in april and i still masturbate like i'm a teenager and it just all it just all gets i fucking hate having sex actually if i'm being honest because i just know i go into it knowing that i'm gonna be an inadequate failure and the whole the whole thing is is just endless anxiety for me but oh so it's a stage fright that he suffers from yeah um just get oh man just get over it you just need to get over it like i always think the first couple of times you shag someone it's awkward as fucking yeah. hell but, but then, then you like, get used to it you, you get, get into the rhythm with it yeah and like either that time even after the first couple of times you even know that you're just going to be shagging this person and you can lose your inhibitions that way or you just kind of know that oh yeah there's actually something more here and that's when it gets even sexier so. Or just go get some fucking boner pills. Who gives a shit? They make fucking pills for that He can get a boner. He just said he's yeah, really I know, good at getting boners. Yeah, but I mean, if he but if he's worried and gets anxiety about it, go get boner pills. Oh, so like that can keep his uh, maintain his erection, yeah. so he doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, but I just think he probably just needs to meet somebody who's fucking. Well, that's the thing. But be I mean, nice. if, yeah. If you're concerned, you have all this anxiety, and you can't get a boner because of it, or whatever. Get a boner pill for the first couple of times. Once you get used to the person, you don't need it anymore. Yeah, that's actually good advice. I would oh, say, yeah. 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 Who knows? I like that term, lob on. I've never heard that. I say lob on. I've definitely said lob on. Was that? Was that being boner? It's like half cocked to me. Oh, to me, like, like it's a chubby. Yeah, it's like a chubs. chubby dick. If someone says to me, "Oh, I've got a bit of a lob on," that it's like, "Oh, you're a bit, you're a bit horny, but you're not full horny." I'm soft like, yet hard for you. Yeah, it's like having the chubs <laughs> soft and hard, <laughs> like a baby's arm. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me, I don't have very many opportunities to have sex, so it isn't very often a problem. And, you know, it just gives me more time to work on my manifesto anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> number three, uh, being ass raped with a broom handle. So this may come as a bit of a surprise, but I, I was a little bit of a target for bullies in the army. Yeah, that's another reason why I probably would have left. Like this guy has the voice of a girl. <laughs> He's obviously, you know, ridiculed. And then just the fact that there's like, it sounds like there's just like a bunch of like assholes in the army, right? Aren't they like in the British army? Yeah. Yes. Squaddies are generally assholes, but yeah. they're like, they're all assholes to each other. It's not a case of, yeah, he will have been bullied, but so will of number one, two, three, four, five. Every single one of them will have. It just seems like a place is rife with bullying. And if, <laughs> you know, if you can't take it, I'd be like, fuck it. Well, what's that Sam Kinison joke about the army where he's like, shave my head and be around a bunch of men. I'm there. <laughs> like this. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things they enjoyed doing was um, they, they used to piss on me when I was in the shower. That was always good fun. 
Um, again, whilst I was in the shower, they, they used to like to slap a load of shower gel in my eyes and then punch Aww. me whilst I was sort of stumbling around half blind. <laughs> So uh, that 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 God. was you know I, I I always really enjoyed that whenever they did it. But that <laughs> is this is this like a therapeutic thing for him, or do you think he's getting PTSD flashbacks? No, I hope it's therapeutic. Do you know what the pissing thing sounds way more innocent than the uh, putting shower gel in and your punching eyes? Punching him in the that face. Is- that is mean putting shower gel in your eyes because you know it's like it's the cheapest shower gel known to man it's not like you know one of uh, an organic vegan no cry sham like shower gel well, it's they're like also doing it so he's temporarily toxic. blinded and they can punch him in the face and laugh <laughs> a 16 year old as well what dickheads favorite form of torment was to wait till i'm asleep and then just just tip my bed over and it happened all, all the time and you know, I, I I never did anything about it. I, I used to just you know silently, <laughs> just silently fight back the tears and put my bed back and just pray to God that I you know didn't believe in at that point. You know what happened in uh, this country? Oh, private pile. Oh yeah, no, he would have got a gun and he would have murdered all of them. He would have killed yeah. them all and then killed himself. <laughs> so would have happened. He would have shot them all. And taking his own life. But you guys can't get guns, so what are you going to do? He will have had a gun. He's in the army. Yeah, but they probably don't let you, like... They probably don't let you keep the guns. They're probably locked up, and you can only, you know, carry them around at, like, supervised moments. Yeah, that's probably true. Not in the U.S. We sleep with our guns. What's your gun's name? Davina. Neil Diamond. (laughs) Neil Diamond. (laughs) (laughs) Um... That they just leave me alone for the rest of the night, and then one one night when they did it, um, you know, tipping me out of bed just wasn't enough for them. And I think there was there was like three or four of them or something. They they sort of like pinned my arms down on on the floor, Jesus, and shoved a broom handle up my ass. And um, it, it you know it, it didn't really go up very far or for very long, but. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just a little oversensitive, but I, I, I feel... I don't know about that. I don't think he's being oversensitive. That's, um, I've seen, definitely seen pornos, gay pornos that have that kind of premise. What? You've seen gay you... porns where they've held a guy down and shoved a broom handle up his ass. Not necessarily broom handle, but you know, they'll be, they'll be holding down a boy. A boy! <laughs> and they will be doing obscure things to him. This is uh, giving me the gay bumps of it. Well, no, it, it's definitely very gay, but it's like not the forced for him. gay bumps. Yeah, not oh, for, for him. The, oh, could you imagine? For I'll, them. I'll, get to it, I'll get to it in a second, but could you imagine? Coming like, up with this plan. Coming up with a plan to do that. Yeah, no, that's weird. That's like sadomasochistic homosexual behavior. That's yeah. I mean, yeah, you're like rapist. if your friends, you're if your friends said that to you, would you not just be like, well, yeah. Firstly, that's not only rape, but secondly, it's a bit gay that you want to be playing with his asshole. Well, I'll tell you a funny story after this because this oh, okay. happened in Bay City, not to me, but it happened in Bay City. They crossed the line, and I, I well, went. Yeah, they did you know, into the showers and sat in a corner and cried <laughs> like, like a man, though. I was crying like a man. Jesus um, Christ. You would fucking and cry. And I, I never, Fuck yeah. You, people can die from that. You could perforate someone's fucking colon. 
You fucking can't. That. And you know what? That's extreme. That's like taking the bullying to a next level now. It's it's creepy and weird and like Shawshank Redemption type gay. You yeah. Know? It, it, like, yeah. It's like it prison totally gay. Is. It's really weird. Yeah. You know, and it's not even. It's like about the dominance to the point where I mean, this. Yeah, these people are pathological. Yeah, you're in the army and like there's a bit there is a they always say there's a fine line between banter and bullying, but in the army I would say it's like low level bullying. But like fuck me, that's bad crap. Yeah, these guys are sadists. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Reported them because um yeah. you know, you just have it so drilled into you that you're meant to be a team and you're meant to stick up for each other. And I felt like them. I was betraying them if I reported them for raping me. And that was <laughs> that was my 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 time in in basic training. Uh, Twisted fire starter. Good bye. Jesus Christ, man! I'm fucking sorry to hear that you had to endure that. I'm Is hoping he... after that you're like, fuck it, I'm done with this bullshit. I want to know, like, obviously you'll he'll remember those fucking assholes. Like, does he keep up with their lives? I bet they're all like um. Uh, fucking family men now, and they have kids, but he'll fucking know. And he's yeah, always got that in his back pocket. Yeah, men with kids that probably go out, like you know, to rest areas with you know where George Michael hangs out, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in, in the park because this behavior is it's it's not like normal. I mean, there's definitely it's not normal. No, it's... I mean it's it's pathological. It's sadistic. They have. I mean, the fact that anyone could do this to someone else and, like, think about doing, you know, and sodomizing someone with a broom handle. Yeah, and, like, and then have you're... multiple people. People join in and do it. I mean, it's uh, so fucked up. My story, and I don't want to name any names in case people listen to it, because there's, we do have people from Bay City, but I remember in high school, uh, a lot of people would go to, like, people's cabins in this area of northern Michigan called Tawas. <laughs> And so they okay. go up to this, like, there's like a lake up there in their cabins. I went a few times, but me and Kessler were very rarely ever invited to camping situations, obviously. <laughs> I wonder why. But, <laughs> but I mean, every now and then, you know, people had like, some of their parents had like, you know, wealthy families would have like uh, nice cabins up there. Everyone in Michigan has north, cabins up north. So anyway, this particular occasion... I don't know why. I don't know if we were invited or maybe we didn't couldn't go or something like that. But a bunch of them went up there to to a cabin. They hung out. And they partied, and one kid, uh, they held like I guess a group of them got super drunk and they held this one kid down and sodomized him with a pool cue. Right. And yeah. And so uh, like the next week or whatever, I think it might even been he might have been a football player or something, but. Because um, we were young, we were probably like sophomores or juniors or something, and we were like hanging out and uh, like we we're at a party or something. Yeah, that's what it was. We were at a party, and uh, this kid that it happened to was like laughing about it and brought it up, like, "Oh my god, it was, it was like it was hilarious. We got so drunk." He like seriously, they pulled my pants down and like put a pool cue in my ass, and like I remember me and Kess were like, "Dude, you got raped." And he was like, no, no, we were just fucking around getting drunk. It's like, no, you... That doesn't happen. <laughs> ...were yeah. raped. That's not normal. He's like, oh, whatever. It was just, it was funny. And it was like, I remember, because a bunch of other people were laughing about it, and it was just like, it's not funny. You were sexually violated. 
and you shouldn't be laughing about this and dismissing it. This is a serious thing. And he was just totally it's similar to this. It's like, I don't know if it's you're thinking it's like, oh, we're all a team or these are my friends. Your friends wouldn't do that to you. No. Well, he said in the call to Sivaisar, it was like, it's drilled into you that you are part of the team and you just don't snitch on people. So he didn't feel comfortable enough to go and report them because maybe the bullying would have got worse. You just don't know, and he'll never know because he never reported them. But it's the same but thing with this. I think Twisted Firestarter knows how fucked up it is. He knows that well, I think it's he does not, not the same I, as that guy. I think he does. Well, I think that's, but it's the same kind of psychology behind it. Is I think he was like, well, these are my friends. I would never snitch on them. I would never, you know, we're just fucking around, getting drunk and, and horseplay. And it's just like, no, that's not horseplay. They that's raped you with a play. fucking pool cue. It's not like drawing on your face while you're asleep. But I just remember, I, I just, yeah, it's like it's not like yeah. you put a bunch of like fucking shaving cream on your face with like, you know, Sharpie. It's like, no, they raped you with a fucking pool cue, dude. And I remember like me and Kessel were explaining this to him and he just kind of was like, I don't see it that way. It's just like, <laughs> and then I think Shit. we just kind of gave up. We're like, you know what? I, I don't care. But I'm not going to pass it out in a room with any of you motherfuckers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um, Twisted Fire started, man. That's a fucking crazy story. And I'm glad uh, you can look back at it with like a sense of humor about it, even though it's pretty fucked up. And I'm sorry yeah, that happened to you. There's a lot of people who would not have bounced back from that and wouldn't be able to even tell that story. No, I mean, I admire, you know, the fact that he can. You look yeah, he's back a tough at cookie. it and you're like, yeah. I mean, the fact yeah. that you're able to endure that and, you know, he seems to turn out fine. He's got a good sense of humor. He's a funny guy. He's a good, I love to surprise you, know? you should, um, I really want him to try the dick pills if, and see if they'll work. Because I think you're, I think you're onto something there. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you have initial anxiety, they, we make fucking, they, or pharmaceutical companies make something to cure that. <laughs> so, they do. You know, and then once you, obviously, once you get comfortable with somebody, it's not going to be an issue anymore. But I think it's like, you know, yeah, it's always sex, sex with somebody anytime for the first couple times. You don't know each other's bodies. Yeah, and it is just, a, you know? it's just awkward. Whenever you're naked around somebody new, it's always awkward. And like, especially I'm not the, from well, a naked I mean, household. Yeah, but especially if the girl's just like nonstop varding. It's weird. He it makes wants it weird. Him, he wants to get himself a vart. <laughs> if if me and Deputy Varts were on the team, we'd find you a lady. Find yourself a farter. That's, <laughs> yes. that's what you need to do. Uh, people call Sigma on Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Reddit page. Uh, Walden. That guy Walden has just been going crazy with the memes. Walden, I love your work. He's a, that guy's like a meme artist. He's like a He's... yeah. He's, There's his, lots of good stuff this week. But his well. meme skills are like elevated. I'd, I'd say he's like a master of the meme. The master of I'm the impressed. meme. I'm that impressed. That is such a it. high compliment to give someone. I enjoy a meme. so I do enjoy a meme. Than. But yeah, it's, it's some uh, pretty crazy shit on the Reddit page. A lot of people posting these days. Uh, go check it out. Just go to Reddit. Do a search for r slash sick and wrong podcast. And just go have fun. Have fun on that Reddit page. That's what it's all about. Also, if you're a big fan of the show, which there's a lot of people that are like, you know, they listen to the show every week and they're like, we need more show. We need more sick and wrong. Uh, you can get it. We're, we're doing a lot more on the Patreon these days. 
you want to go sign up, you want to show us a little love, you want to keep this show going, just go to um, patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. Support the show. We appreciate it. Uh, for only $5. That's it. Five bucks a month. It's not even that much. It's like less than, what, a six-pack? Um, yeah. You get an extra story. This week uh, we were talking about a guy from Oklahoma who uh, attempted a bride napping. Oh, he attempted yeah. to abduct someone's <laughs> wife, like straight out of like Borat type thing, like wedding sack kind of thing. Um, but we did that. We You get some extra phone calls. You get the outtakes. We were talking about David Hasselhoff's plus-size daughter. Um, and uh, Oh, no, wait, wait. That was news. But in uh, the outtakes this week, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the outtakes this week, we were talking about the pickup artist guy that was uh, married to Ryan Keeley. It was funny because when I was hanging out with her, she's like, I can't believe I married this guy. And I was just like, yeah, I know. I'm shocked by it. She's like, yeah, well... Didn't you have dreads for nine years as a white guy? And I was just like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> this better guy reg- made me very mad as well. He well, was it's like better to regret something you have than that something you haven't. But I, oh, but yeah, I mean, don't it's, say that about dreads. Like, don't, don't be a white man and get dreads. Better regret something you have done. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, this guy's logic is absurd. He's a wanker. <laughs> it's such That's a wanker. Like anyway, we go into detail on the uh, the outtakes this week. And as I mentioned before, yeah, we do a news segment where we kind of do our you know stories we'd never do on Sick and Wrong, but it's kind of like a just a news roundup for the week. Um, so if you sign up on Patreon, you can check that out. We talk about David Hasselhoff's chunky daughter, who is on the cover of Playboy. Uh, we also got into a story about Jislaine uh, Maxwell. Um, Epstein's madam who refuses to flush her brown sharks like she's, she's in her cell bitch. and she won't even flush her toilet you know that's the thing if it's, if it's yellow it's mellow if it's brown flush it down that's the, that's the rule that's my motto alright <laughs> um, also the bonus episode this week Sick and Wrong Overkill Kate did a whole thing on Peter Manuel the Beast of Birkinshaw which we've never covered on the show um, so inter- a horrific serial killer. Yeah, Glasgow's Glasgow's <laughs> finest serial killer. East oh. East Kilbride boy. She plays a lot of Jesus and Mary Chain. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate you supporting the show. Um also the T Public guy reached out to me. There's a big sale going on right now, as usual. But this time for <laughs> real. There's a real sale going on. It's like thirty-five percent off things. So uh, just go to sickerrunpodcast.com slash shop. You click on the picture of the Pope and just go buy stuff at a reduced cost. You know, my people love sales. Varting so. t-shirts coming soon. I seriously, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it like, do you, do you guys have dare? Yeah, I, that's how I imagine it. Yeah, like, you know the dare yeah. the, the, for the, the drugs? The dare logo. Yeah, yeah I, was I only do... owed that through Marilyn Manson, but yeah, that's how I imagine it. I was going to do the dare logo, but just make it Vart. Yeah, that like, that's how I was picturing it in my head. I was like, that would look cool. Yeah, it's coming soon to the Tea Public store. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sick of Wrong Song of the Week. Uh, actually, Kate picked this uh, picked this one out. We we're trying to find like a good Glasgow band. I know we've I, I was my my selection was Alex Harvey, but we played Alex Harvey on the show several times. I love Alex Harvey though. Yeah, um, he's, he's great. a famous Glaswegian. But Kate, 
you know, uh, her bands were from the Glasgow scene. And there's a lot of good music coming out of that Glasgow scene. Yeah, there's you know? millions of good bands from Glasgow. So uh, she was telling me about this band called Anxiety, which um relatively recent, right? Past five years? Yeah, they're not together anymore, sadly. But when they were together, they were like a star that shone bright. They were fantastic. Saw them live a couple of times. Uh, On La Vida? Oh, you play oh, you, uh, with uh, Goldie yeah, Dawn? Yeah, no, Asian Babes. Oh, Asian Babes. Uh, played with them and yeah this uh, they released their stuff on levita which is a great label if you don't know it london-based uh levita's still going paco will never die <laughs> yeah it's, i always hate when i discover a band i'm like oh shit i guess i can never see them because they don't exist anymore however i kind of like this song it's called delayed and it's from their self-titled lp it came out in 2016 on levita so we're going to show here with anxiety uh, people, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, episode 788. Until then, take a sleazy.
Did you guys have uh, cookie puss? No, we've had this discussion before. You never had a cookie puss? <laughs> never. Look at him, he's so cute. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> cookie puss. Yeah, Carvel Go cookie home. puss. Isn't he terrifying? I <laughs> if my parents got cookie pusses, I would have been happy with that. I never had a cookie puss till I went to New York. I think it was an East Coast thing. Put in, put in a um, Colin the Caterpillar. <laughs> oh, shit. We forgot to talk about that. I know. I realized that halfway through. Oh, I thought I had it. I must have... Ah... Wouldn't you just be terrified if, like, you brought out Colin the Caterpillar if you didn't know what he was? Do you have Swiss rolls? That is, that is, that is weird. Has, has anyone ever made a human Colin the Caterpillar? <laughs> <laughs> Are you, gonna, you should make that movie. <laughs> no, your, your brother's made Colin the Caterpillar, definitely. Wait, what, what were you saying? Have you, do you have Swiss rolls? Oh wait, I've had those before. Those are good. Well, that's what that's what calling the caterpillar is. Is a Swiss roll. Yeah, these roll. are good. Yeah, I haven't oh, had one like of these in a long time. Yeah. Oh, they're they're cheap over here. You can get Swiss rolls. You can get them here too. 